man, have you ever heard of Peacock? No. How do they sound? A few years back, my sister were, uh, moved You're not in. not even into the microphone, by the way. I didn't know I was recording this for banter, <laughs> but I could talk into the mic now. Am I better? Yeah. How about now? Yeah. Okay. So a few years back, my sister moved into a new house across the street from a cemetery. Scary. And occasionally I would babysit, but in the middle of the night, I could hear a woman screaming. Oh, shit. Coming coming from the freaking cemetery. And I swear, I didn't want to say anything because my sister had just moved there. And what am I supposed to say? Oh, yeah, there's. There's, there's wailing women <laughs> across the street. Like, what the fuck? You know what? I didn't want to freak her out. <laughs> bring down the property funny. value. <laughs> uh, my mom used to live when she was younger next to a cemetery, too. And they would constantly hear, like, a woman's voice saying, help, help. Oh, okay. Anyway, if <laughs> it turned out, I, and I didn't know this at the time, like Amber said, that's what peacocks sound like when they're screaming. Yeah. They sound like <laughs> women going, help. That like that's the sound of a peacock. That's terrifying. Wait, well, why why are peacocks doing the graveyard then? Apparently, the owners of the of that specific cemetery. Anyway, I found this out later. They just think they look nice and they let them roam the 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 area because they eat like bugs and like yeah. they keep like all the bad pests away from the flowers and foliage. So if people go there to visit some relatives, dead relatives. And they don't know about the peacock middle of the night and hear screaming. The thing is bloody murder or a banshee or something. Not a peacock. Well, yes. <laughs> I fucking thought it was a banshee every time I went to babysit. But, I mean, why would you go visit a grave site in the middle of the night unless you're up to, like, weird crap? It was across the street. Every time I left her house, I could hear screaming. And well, yeah. that was that was in the hood, too. So I just assumed it was a crackhead. That's even worse. <laughs> Oh, it's gosh. either a banshee or a crackhead. I'm not I, dealing with it. I, I'd rather deal with a banshee than a crackhead. I thought they are just wild, roaming peacocks, though. They, they might have been. They might just be trapped in there. Like, when we are in college, uh, someone from school, I forgot who it was, but turkeys got trapped in their apartment complex, and they couldn't, they couldn't leave the their apartment because turkeys had surrounded their car and couldn't get out of their apartment complex. Oh, my God. And he was... And he was afraid of the turkeys, so he could, so he couldn't like leave. Um. Yes. So I'm I'm back from the I'm back nearby the mic. I just thought I should tell everybody. Okay. Welcome oh. Back. Okay. Welcome back. Um. Welcome, fright fans, to the horror podcast that takes a deep dive into the stories that inspire our favorite horror movies with your hosts Amber, Lex, Antonio. Join us for movie night as we see for ourselves if what happened was true. Yes, sir, Uganda. Joining us for movie night, we have Connie. Say hello, Connie. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Say hello. So what brings you on to the podcast with us? Uh, You know, um, some... uh lonely nights here in quarantine and i got an invite and that sounded like a hell of a lot of fun so here i am yay okay (laughs) actually the reason why i asked if you could join us on today's podcast was specifically for our movie choice tonight Mm -hmm. because i know how much you love sweeney todd and i wanted to try to spice things up because naturally when we do these reviews we're kind of 
playing it by ear, I thought it would be fun to have a fan, like a big fan of the movie, also discuss it with us. Definitely love Sweeney Todd. Yeah. Yeah, like a real expert. Yeah. Yeah. A real yeah. emo expert. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I used to, every movie, every not every movie, but every time when I'd watch Sweeney Todd, and I never picked up that I was doing this until my mom came home early one day and watched, saw me watching the movie Sweeney Todd. But every time, I have to make myself a bowl of top ramen. Mm-hmm. Why ramen? I have no idea. Yeah. I don't I just crave top ramen. <laughs> Did you do it time. for this time too? Oh. No. After my That's mom odd. was like totally grossed out that I was watch, like watching Sweeney Todd while eating top ramen. And then she kept noticing it. She brought it up to me and she's like, it looks like. She told me, she was like, it looks like you're eating brains in a bowl. And so I never touched Top Ramen again while watching the movie because I was too grossed out by it. Yeah. Maybe subconsciously you're a cannibal. Why do you sound sad from that? <laughs> no, I was just saying, maybe subconsciously you're a cannibal. <laughs> no, no, I barely eat meat. Oh, yeah. no, she doesn't. Yeah, Connie can't really eat meat. If you like pork, you're one step closer, apparently. Uh. I can't say that for sure, of course. Yeah, true, right? You don't you know, have taste experience from it. I, I hope I don't. Like, for all I know, maybe a restaurant serves me human, but that's expensive stuff. I heard in, in like, uh, in Europe, there's, like, a restaurant that does it legally. And people, like, because it's some weird thing. Probably Germany. Yeah, oh, where you eat? Germany, but... I heard of that. Yeah. 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 yeah do you oh, sign, I like, a, a contract thing, and you're like, here's my leg, and you can even eat your own leg. Oh, oh I, I looked into that. It, it turned out to not be real. It was an art installment. <laughs> oh, stupid art. Oh, stupid art. I, I researched things like that. Basically, it was an art installment, and they were trying to like make a statement about people being eaten, but then they actually had hundreds of volunteers emailing them, like, oh, take my leg, and they're, they're really freaked out, and they ended up closing it. Oh, so it could be. If they allow in a restaurant, they totally could. There's obviously a lot of people willing. Yeah, but but they didn't really mean it. They were being ironic, but t- people didn't even, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's like a type of cocktail in Canada where it has a human toe in it. What? Oh, yes, the, the toe cocktail thing. Yeah, yeah. The, um, so this is in Canada, somewhere in Canada. I don't know where exactly, where they serve you a specific drink with a human toe in it. Pickled. And it's supposed to enrich the flavors and every, and all of that. And the reason is a human toe is, I think the story when there was a some hiker had a frostbite on his toe and it fell in one of the brewery and it tasted so good they just kept it. And they ever actually, since... They actually put it in there for safekeeping before it got reattached. Oh, okay. And then uh, they drank from it and then they just let them keep it. But then over the years, they kept doing it again. Like people would volunteer limbs for them who, to use who would do that why yeah because What's people still eat you? it people eat the toe yeah people eat the toe, toe. <laughs> i don't know what? people are weird it's like a yes. I, I, olive like toe a, make a good martini it's called the sour toe cocktail yeah Ugh. Uh, i think they recently stopped doing that uh recently <laughs> yeah because it was a uh, because it's gross <laughs> no, it was that thing of like unruly tourists would like try to steal the toe and like fights would break out. Uh huh. Oh, it just gets. All right, so it's I found a place. It's in Dawson oh. City, Yukon. Yeah, we don't need to. We don't need to. 
<laughs> we don't need to go there. I know, but I'm just out of curiosity. Marvelous. Marvelous. Okay. So if you've listened to the podcast before, you know the way we normally format this, we tend to chat for a little bit, then I'll tell the true story, then we'll get into the movie reviews. You have listened to the podcast before, right? I listened to the first one. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> You should listen to this one since you're on it. Yes. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it sounds weird to listen. It's like sounds weird to listen to yourself. I listen to both podcasts already. I like them. I like the first one though. Yes, I am a fan of my own work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Narcissism. Okay. So let's get into the true story of Sweeney Todd. Yay. Yay. I didn't even know it was based on a true story. Well, that's the thing is a lot of people don't know that it's based on a true story and it's partially why I wanted to cover it for this podcast. Okay. When I asked for suggestions from people on like, hey, what do you think we should do for another episode? No one ever mentioned Sweeney Todd. And it occurred to me that a lot of people don't even know it's based on a true story. Most people think it's just a Broadway play and like, that's it. That's movie, Broadway play, and that's it. Yeah, I just figure it was based on a uh, urban legend from um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, one of those um, chapters in the book. Oh yeah, yeah, the the meat pie one. That's the one. Yeah, the meat pie one. I so want meat my meat pie. I did want meat pie. I actually <laughs> was about to run to the store meat to pie. get one. They oh, you guys should have bought meat pie. They have those banquet ones that are like you just pop them in the microwave. They're delicious <laughs> and cheap. Yeah, they're only like fifty cents. That's just made from humans. It's not made from. If it were made from humans, it'd be more expensive. Yeah, no, it would be. They're like, this is extra quality meat. High in fat. Soil and green is people. People. Apparently, people taste like pigs. Pork. Yeah, like yeah, pork. Yeah, pork. The long pork is delicious. Have you ever heard that expression the, about long pork? It, they're talking about people. What was that again? Long pork is slang for people. It's what cannibals refer to people meat is long pork. Oh. Long pork. Oh, because they're tall, long. Oh, totally. There's that scene in Pirates of the Caribbean where Will's trying to track down Jack, and one of the people he interviews says, I heard he's on an island where the long pork is delicious. And yeah, he turns out to be on an island filled with cannibals. That's what it's referring to. Oh my gosh. Oh Mm. my gosh. It makes so much sense. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Because that's that's how he kind of figured out which island to go to. It's the one where there are cannibals. (laughs) So, was he, like, totally ready for this then? What, Johnny Depp? Yeah. Now that you mention it, when we're, like, researching Sweeney Todd for this podcast, Amber asked me if there was any movies based on Jack the Ripper, and (laughs) the only one I could think of also starred Johnny Depp. Which one was that? Man, that trailer is really bad. From Hell? Is it good? Oh, it's it's awful. No, man. Just garbage. It It was based on a graphic novel by Alan Moore. Okay, I know who he is. He's the author of The Watchmen. Apparently, that movie is one of the many reasons he refuses to work with Hollywood. Mm. That's how good that movie was. (laughs) Not as good. That's my review for that movie. (laughs) We can do that movie for an episode. Just saying. It is Uh, based on a true story. I will make you guys watch it. So that would be two movies based on real life with Johnny Depp then? Yeah, yeah. well, three three if you include Nightmare. Yeah. Wait, Nightmare on Elm Street. What do you mean, Nightmare? Oh, yeah. Oh, but he's not the star. Just, oh, but he's in it. Just His beginning. name is in the credits. First okay, movie yeah. he's in, so. Then three movies. Well, he, oh, well, I mean, other than that, 
including biopics. How many times has he been in a movie based on a true story? And it's Pirates of the Caribbean based on a true story? They turn into skeletons in that movie. So That's real. <laughs> Just want to make sure. Okay. Davy Jones. Davy Jones was in the monkeys. Nobody? Nobody got that? Never uh, mind. Yeah, old mm, band. No. I, I get it. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. No. Yeah. No. Uh, no. Only older people or people that know the, the monkeys. They were big. Uh, yeah, many years ago. Before we were born. In the 60s, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Around that time. Yeah, I don't think we're that old yet. I mean, I feel like it, though. So I still got toys, so I'm still a kid. Yeah, so did Hugh Hefner. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? All right, let's get into the story. Okay. In England, during the mid-1800s, entertainment was hard to find. Other than the occasional public execution, there was almost nothing for poor people to do for fun. Poverty and crime were at an all-time high, but strangely enough, so was education. It was the first time... In history, the poor were literate for the most part. The theater and arts were usually reserved for the wealthy and the elite, but for the first time, reading was made available for the poor masses. Cheap novellas and short stories were published, a chapter at a time, for the price of a penny. They had action, adventure, but most popular of all, they had extreme amounts of violence. These penny dreadfuls, as they came to be known, were fictionalized accounts of true crime stories ripped straight from the headlines. One of these stories was The String of Pearls, a domestic romance. It told the story of Sweeney Todd, a murderous thief and cannibal who teams up with his neighbor to rob and cook his victims into delicious meat pies that they sell to the unsuspecting public. Mm, Sounds solid. The story was sensational and horrific, and it's considered the most popular penny dreadful of all time. But despite his popularity, there is no historical evidence of a Sweeney Todd ever existing. There's no birth records, there's no newspaper articles, or even police reports depicting a crime of that nature ever happening in London, or anywhere in England for that matter. So who, uh, is he real? Well, that's the thing. The Penny Dreadful's pulled from sources all over. So it'd be newspaper articles, other stories. This was a true story. But it didn't happen in England. Oh. Where did it happen at? 14th century France, in the city of Paris, there was an area in... Paris. What? No, just say Paris. Paris. Yes. In the city of Paris, there was an area known as the Cloisters of Notre Dame. A cloister is an enclosed garden-like area. It's usually attached to a monastery or a cathedral. It's where monks would pray and be alone from, like, everywhere else. This specific street housed four and led to the most like highly reputable cathedral and school in the area you know notre dame mm, yeah from mm. like hunchback of notre dame you know the mm-hmm. big scary cathedral yeah quasimodo and yeah. everything didn't that burn down yeah recently oh, it was like yeah. was that like last year like the year two years ago 2018 i think yeah a bunch of people yeah, yeah. yeah a bunch of people donated to it like why would you donate help the people not the church so yeah Naturally, in the 1300s, this area was highly traveled, like really popular area of France because, of course, the cathedral and, of course, the schools. So high-ranking nobility, biblical scholars, all sorts of rich people were known to frequent this little area. Mm. But despite all everything that was going on, the area was most famous was for its pastries. As you know, France is known for their delicious food. Yeah. 
uh, little portions as well. Bonaparte. That's true. They do have incredibly small portions. I never thought about it. Oh, Americans are fat, so. <laughs> <laughs> On the corner of Rue de Marset and Rue de Hermets. Marset. Well, I butchered Marset. that name. Crap. French names. <laughs> Come on, you can say it. I believe in you. Rue de Marcel and Rue de Du Hermes. Hermes. Huh? That was it. Anyway, on this street corner, there was a butcher shop and restaurant that was renowned for its savory meat pate. Okay. Mm-hmm. People would travel from all over just to try one of these dishes. Even King Charles VI was said to have frequented the shop. Cool. The cardinal. The cardinal. And various other religious leaders were counted among its regulars. Wow. His neighbor, however, was a barber who did way more than just cut hair. <laughs> services at the time, mind you, this is the 1300s. So services included dentistry, bloodletting, even surgeries. Oh. The barber surgeon was a thing. That's that's actually why we have the red and white barber pole. White reflected cleanliness like haircutting uh hygiene the red denoted blood oh blood that's that's funny because that's a character and a flapjack dr barber yeah because they were back in the day surgeons and barbers because doctors generally focus on the more academic side developing medicines elixirs uh figuring out anatomy but for minor surgeries like removing a gallbladder Fixing your teeth. Those were all done at the barber shop. Did they use the same tools to cut your hair and cut people open? Generally speaking, they had different tools for different things. I'm just wondering. But they would all be located in one area. Generally, they would use the same chair. If That mm, that, yeah, that, that doesn't help. <laughs> so when you say you're going to the barber like tomorrow, you could be meaning like, I'm getting something cut out of me tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. It would. It could be the same as getting surgery. So you go okay. in for a haircut, but they take out your kidney. <laughs> well, you would ask. Yeah. Wrong. They part could. Of the I list. mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it would make sense because that's why barbers wear aprons. Oh, oh that makes much sense I, I now. I thought it was just for like hair, though. But I do remember seeing some barbers in like butcher like aprons. Yeah, the leather aprons. Oh, yeah. That's not... Um, like all that for hair? That's scary. Anyway, with all this going on, no amount of blood or screaming would raise any alarm to anybody in the area who heard it or saw it, for that matter. Oh, okay. Makes sense. I mean, he's just getting his kidneys taken out. Mm-hmm. But in this case, obviously, people didn't know that his clients were dying on purpose. Because I guess that was like a brand new thing for them. They're not like, ah, he's a killer. Yeah. In fact, the idea of a serial killer was a very, very rare occurrence back then. Mind you, this is 14th century France. The idea of somebody just killing people for no reason Mm. is completely unheard of. So the same way people thought like, oh, sharks, they don't kill people. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, it, it wasn't really a common thing. Actually, we are discussing earlier Jack the Ripper. The reason why Jack the Ripper is considered one of the most famous serial killers at the of all time is because he was one of the first serial killers that did it for no reason whatsoever. But they never caught him, right? Well, no. There well, is a reason. They don't really know his reason. Wasn't the reason, money, yeah, right? wasn't the reason that he was killing prostitutes only? 
I thought that was just because it was easier. That's what I thought. They never caught him, so we'd never know. We'll never find out. Oh, well. So, from 1384 to 1387, the barber would wait until he was alone with a foreign student. Foreigners were always chosen since it would take the longest for anyone to realize they were missing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, because, again, it took days to travel from town to town. And if you were a foreign student in the area studying, it would take a long time for your family to be like, hey, he hasn't written in three months. He's okay. It's not like you could phone call them. Yeah, because it would probably take three or four months for the letter to arrive anyway. Mm. Makes sense. Good target, Mm -hmm. I suppose. His modus operandi, or his MO, for the most part, would be he'd wait till he was alone with a foreign student. Then he would assess how much money they had on them. Then if they had what he felt was a reasonable amount, he'd slit their throat and then dump their body into a chute that led straight to the cellar. Or more likely, he just opened the cellar door and threw them down. Again, dead bodies and blood were very common in a barber shop back in the day. Wow. Ew. So no one questioned it. I mean, if you walked into a surgeon's office and there was a dead body, you'd probably be like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> My bad. I don't know. In the weird way, he wouldn't even really need to be secretive is what I mean. Because, like, okay, he comes out of the shop covered in blood. Today, you'd be like, what the fuck? Why is the barber covered in blood? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I'll help you out there. Your patient died, right? Let yeah. me give you a hand. Yeah. you Like, if you saw him with a body, like, oh, what happened? The barber would just have to be like, oh, unfortunately, he didn't make it through the surgery. Can you give me a hand? And you're just like, okay, yeah, whatever. This thing happens all the time. Wow. The perfect alibi. Mm-hmm. That's why they were able to get away with it for so long. So after dumping their body into the cellar, of course, the butcher would check for other valuables besides cash. They would take off their clothes, check for any rings, jewelry, anything like that. Then they would butcher the body, remove the bones, and then grind the meat into a fine pate or serve it up as like a tartare, you know, mm-hmm. the raw meat. Hmm. They did this for three years. Oh, shit. Thing. yeah that's a lot of people i would assume well there's it's countless there's no way to know how many people because they were foreigners nobody missed them or knew they were missing so they don't have yeah. an actual number of how many people he killed no idea wow well uh, how many pies have that he sold he was the most popular patisserie or pastry shop of all time in that area wow so probably a lot how many people lived at that time? Like, what was the population like? They estimated that it was a little bit over a thousand, but it constantly had travelers. I mean, it was Paris. It was like the capital. Yeah, so there's constantly place. people going in and out to study at the cathedral, to visit the area. And like, there was also the fashion center of the area. Like it, so many tourists, even back then. hundred people a day. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Something like that. And they, there's a lot of people. Okay. And they didn't have refrigeration. So anybody killed, if he didn't completely finish the meat, it would probably be wasted. So arguably, he could be the serial killer with the high, highest body count then. It's possible. but Who knows? There who, could yeah, be who, someone else. I mean, if you're a good serial killer, they're not going to find you. Plus, <laughs> there's no record on how frequently he did it. Like, it could have been once a month. could have mm. been every day. No mm. one really knows. You just one bite the whole month. Anyway. They did this for three years. They kept up their routine. They were making quite a bit of profit. I mean, the pies were super popular in themselves. Plus the fact that they were robbing rich 
foreigners who were able to travel back then. But in 1387, they made a huge mistake. A German student came in while walking his dog, decided to get a haircut on the on a whim. He didn't like plan it or nothing. He just saw the shop, decided to step in. But before going inside the store, he instructed his dog to wait outside. Literally told him to sit and wait. Good boy. Yeah. The dog waited for days for his master to come back. Oh. But he never Aww. did. Poor doggy. That's so sad. Like, this is a sad story. <laughs> yeah. The guy kills like a yeah. thousand people. Meh. But he kills a, a dog owner. Oh. Well, it, it paid off because the dog started howling and whimpering. Good boy. It was so loud that eventually the neighbors started complaining. And despite their best efforts to shoo him away, they couldn't get the dog to leave the front of the shop. Eventually, one of the neighbors recognized him and alerted the German kid's wife. That was his big mistake. They didn't know that he wasn't traveling alone. He had his family with him. So from the... So from the moment he went missing, there were people locally that were looking for him. Yeah, I mean, you should have gotten rid of the dog. I think that would have helped him. From what I gather in the story, they probably didn't even know it was his dog. They should probably uh, got rid of the whole family, just to be sure. Hmm. Well, they, they didn't even understand that people were onto him. He thought, like, they thought he was just a foreign student, right? Yeah, like if, like every other foreigner traveling to the area, they probably thought he was just alone in the area to study or whatever. Right. They weren't expecting someone locally to be like, hey, where's my husband? Yeah. He's been gone for days. So when the neighbors who recognized the dog were like, hey, that belongs to the dude. They went and told the wife, hey, your dog's sitting outside of the barber shop howling every day. That was enough for her to alert the authorities. Like, nope, there, there's something seriously wrong. So she went and got her dog. Yeah, of course, the dog was fine. But that was enough to clue her in that he's probably here or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess, is that a happy ending? <laughs> um <laughs> Well, supposedly, they built a statue in his honor, a little bronze of the bronze dog. Of the dog? I would hope it'd be of the dog. Yeah, not not um the killer. Well, I was thinking the German person, but no, yeah. no, they they built a statue in the dog's honor, or they gave him a medal, and they tore the building down brick by brick. They were so freaked out about this crime that the government tried as hard as they could to erase it. A lot of people, without knowing, like wealthy people, noble people, ate other yeah, it's people. That's gonna be horrifying to find out. Yeah, mind you, cannibalism is a sin, even if it's not on purpose. The fact that he fed monks and biblical scholars and cardinals human hmm. meat pâtés—that's got to have massive ramifications for everyone. Yeah. yeah, that must mess them up. Like, I really like that too, man. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Uh, quick question: What what is the uh, dog's name? Oh, I, I don't have a, I don't have a record for that. There was no. Oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, I was just curious. I wanted to see a picture of the statue. Oh, uh, the statue. Uh, no one knows where the statue went. They suspect that the family took it with them when they left the area. Oh, oh, that makes sense. Oh. Okay, never mind then. So, since so many people ate these like human meat pies. And, like, once you find out that, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, I performed cannibalism, like, how horrible, like, how many prayers would you have to do, like, late one night when you're craving one of those pies? Like, after a month and you're like, oh, I God. really want one of those pies. <laughs> I, I didn't even think like, of that. That's horrible. That is horrible. So you have to, like, go the next day to the priest and go, I, I swear to God, I just, 
I didn't mean to. I don't know why I'm craving this. Uh. (laughs) You know what sounds good for lunch today? A pie from that shop. Dude, that was people. I know. (laughs) Just... It's not people's long pork. Or is it just one of those things where you're never going to speak about it again? Yeah. I believe there's like a whole ritual you'd have to do to atone for cannibalism. Like it's a massive thing that the monks would all have to do. Like It was accidental cannibalism. <laughs> they had so. to learn how to cover that up. They still yeah. did a sin. Yeah. So not only did they tear the building down, they actually made it illegal to build on that site for years uh yeah i i guess they're like remember this don't don't be like them this is never going to be a food place again he did it to the king damn it (laughs) yeah you don't mess with the king what happened to him after they found out oh the way they executed them i mean of course there's no records of this there's only records that he existed and this thing kind of happened but supposedly Mm -hmm. the way they were both executed was they were suspended in large metal cages and slow roasted alive over a fire. Yummy. Oh, like that bull in uh, Greek uh, Greek mythology. Yeah. yeah but did they eat them? I don't know. <laughs> Barbecue. Like, this is what you deserve. This is your fate. I just imagine it being a public execution. Yeah. Well, it's France. So. Oh, yeah. The guillotine used to gather a crowd. Okay. It's called brazen bull. Brazen bull. Yeah, the, the brazen mm-hmm. bull. That's the one. Brazen bull. That's where the phrase brazing meat comes from. Ooh. Oh, really? No, I don't. Oh, know. shit. <laughs> oh, well, that, that, that seems. <laughs> that seems. <laughs> sounds good. No, up. actually, I'm pretty sure bra- brazen bull means bronze bull. Yeah, it's just right here, bronze. <laughs> still, I like your explanation better. Well, that's the thing when you sound like you know what you're talking about, everyone assumes your facts are correct. That's why you, we, I call you Wiki. Wiki, Wiki, Wiki. Woo woo. Anyway, <laughs> the thing that's very interesting, this story was a little bit hard to research. I mean, I knew this story prior to doing this podcast. It's one of the reasons I wanted to do the podcast in general is it is one of those movies you don't know is based on a true story, and they never advertise that it's based on a true story. The story's kind of hard to swallow. What? I get it. Oh. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> no. Nah. No. No. Nah. 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 <laughs> okay. But in researching Sweeney Todd, I found that there are multiple instances of people claiming this was a true story. In fact, there was another version of the same story I told you printed in the 1800s. Roughly the same thing, I mean, took place in France overall. I think that's the thing that's kind of the point of contention with people who like the Sweeney Todd story. He's the demon barber of Fleet Street. Mm Mm-hmm. But it never took place in Fleet Street. It was, it was a story London had stolen from France. Ah, it has a good ring. Plagiarize. One of the things that made researching Sweeney Todd very confusing is there are several books by this author, famous historical like crime author, who claims that Sweeney Todd was a real person. In fact, he has multiple books talking about the life of Sweeney Todd and like, his biography, like how he grew up in an abusive home and all this other stuff. But if you really look into it, he can't cite any of his sources. So so it's just fan fiction. Where was he getting this info from? He claimed he received that like info information about Sweeney Todd in periodicals and newspapers. But when other historians try to find these periodicals, they're usually written after Pearl of Strings was published. Mind you, uh, the string of pearls when printed claimed this is a true story. 
it's sort of the Blair Witch effect of if you say it's a true story enough, eventually our audience will be convinced too. Right. I mean, if you're convincing. The fact that most of those Penny Dreadfuls were based on a true story kind of led credibility to the idea that Sweeney Todd was a real person. Right. In fact, people vaguely remembered a story similar to that. It it kind of built up its own mythology around the fact that it was specific enough for you to remember, but vague enough so that you couldn't remember where you heard it. So when you read The String of Pearls, you're like, oh, okay, that's the story that I know. Yeah, yeah. After The Penny Dreadful was released, a good, like, five, six years later, due to the popularity of A String of Pearls, it was made into a stage play. And I don't know how popularity of stage plays work, but it was literally the 1800s, and it was still being performed today as a stage play. That's how popular this weird-ass play was. The story of Sweeney Todd is totally different than the musical, by the way. In the original story, Todd is just a murderer and a thief, as is his neighbor, Mrs. Lovett. Okay. The way the story goes, there's a guy who went on to shore leave to deliver a string of pearls to a woman whose fiance had gone missing, another sailor. And in the process, he goes missing. So his commanding officer goes into London to try to find information on his two missing sailors. In the process, he finds Joanna Oakley, who is the fiance, and she says, I never received the pearls, but the last I heard, he was supposed to be getting a haircut. So Joanna disguises herself as a boy and gets a job at the barbershop to try to get information on her missing fiance. Right. Yeah. And through the course of just working there, she finds out Todd's other assistant was put in the asylum for claiming that Todd was a murderer. And just by the end of the story, she finds out that her fiance is a prisoner in the basement, forced to cook pies. And she finds out that Todd has a trap door, that he pulls a switch and the bodies like flip into the basement. Yeah. Pretty much ends with Mrs. Lovett gets poisoned and then Todd gets arrested and executed. And then Joanna and her fiance run away and get married. Happy ending too horribly different no that's pretty darn different yeah i i like this version better yeah oh well after the play had ran for centuries is that a century about 100 years yeah basically around the 70s someone decided to rewrite it as a like a better play and that's when they added the story of benjamin barker uh joanna of course got replaced and made into Todd's daughter swapped up the fiance for Anthony, just like a random, like first love kind of story. So it's relatively a pretty new story from like being rewritten point of view. Yeah. The details of the story, murderous barber and neighbor cooks them into pies. Yes. Yeah. Up until the 1800s, same thing. Only they moved it to France or they moved it from France into England because England at the time was, hella scary like hella scary right yeah streets were just pretty much toilets (laughs) when the story was published it was three years before jack the ripper so the sensationalized true crime stories were a massive hit at the time so these stories came out before jack the ripper yeah by like three or four years oh Oh, shit what if what if, what if Jack Ripter ripped, uh, read these stories and got influenced by it? I, I almost think he did. No. It just seems like such different killings. I mean, 
you hear somebody else killed a series of people and then made people into pies. I'm not sure. Yeah, but he got away with for a while. Well, I, I just mean the Penny Dreadfuls in general. The Pearl of Strings was only one of many stories of murderers. Like or, the spring Jack, um, the Murder Mystery of London. Like, there was all sorts of Penny Dreadfuls, and they're all about horrendous killings and serial killers at a time where that wasn't really a thing. And within three, four years later, the serial killer appears in London, and he's all theatrical, sending dramatic letters to the police and... It, it almost sounds like he was a fan of these Penny Dreadfuls and tried to do one in real life. Jack the Ripper, I mean. Yeah. Okay, I see it. He was a fanboy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in the mid-70s, uh, singer-songwriter Stephen Sodheim, who, of course, wrote West Side Story and, again, Sweeney Todd, he went to see the play and he just started thinking this would make a kick-ass musical and he decided to rewrite it as a musical, adding all of his f- fanciness and whatnot. Fancy. The way he approached Sweeney Todd was a little different because he wanted it to be very expressive as far as musical conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. A common thing in old musicals at the time was... Let's stop and sing about what's going on. What he changed in like his style that he developed was the idea that the conversation gets so heated or the emotions get so high that the songs just happen. Is it kind of like presented like opera in a way? No, because opera tends to sing every thought and every emotion. Right. They, in fact, most operas could be taken like all the stage direction could be removed and the music still tracks. Whereas Stephen Sondheim's style of musical kind of had it explode out of the conversation. Okay. So singing, I mean, talk through singing. Yeah. That became his staple. Like that was the thing that he really revolutionized in musical theater was the idea that you can't contain yourself in an argument and then you break out into a song because of it. So instead of screaming, you just sing it. Yeah. Hmm. I guess it works. That's why Sweeney Todd has such a great emotional burst. It's because he's very, like, calm until he gets enraged enough to, like, suddenly shout out and hit a high note. Yeah. Or he gets irritated enough to interrupt with a singing line. (laughs) They tell a story on the DVD where Tim Burton saw the play in the early 80s. And immediately met with the writer and said, I'm going to make this into a movie. And Sondheim was like, awesome, man, go for it. And then nothing ever happened. And then 20 years later, he gets a call from Tim Burton going, I'm going to make this into a movie. And he's like, all right, cool, go for it. And then it actually happened. <laughs> this movie was in development since the 80s. So you could you kind of guess how many times they tried to do this. At one point... uh. Russell Crowe was supposed to play Todd. Nicole Kidman at one point. Hmm. uh, Kate Winslet was supposed to be in line for the role. Even Tony Collette, who I love Tony Collette. She's one of my favorite actresses. Tim Curry was originally going to be Sweeney Todd when they were going to do this in the 80s. That would be interesting. That would be cool. I think he would have been amazing. I think freaking Curry. Definitely psychotic. Yeah, definitely. More crazier. But Johnny Depp definitely had like it emo vibe 
Yeah, he definitely had like an emo thing going with his skunk hair. Jack Nicholson, Steve Martin, Tim Curry, Kevin Klein, Warren Beatty, Al Pacino, and Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, Harrison Ford, Michael Douglas, and William Hurt were all attached to play Todd at one point over Dang. the years of them trying to make this movie. That's too many people. Tim Curry sounds the best. I know. Tim Curry is the only one from this list I would have picked. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with his singing, too. Oh, that's true. That's true. Oh, musicals. yeah. Great yeah. singer. Oh, yeah. I always forget about that. But I feel like Tim Curry would have, like, a little too much um, seductiveness to him. Seductive. <laughs> What's wrong seductive with that? Seductive Tim Curry. <laughs> you don't want to be seduced by no. Mr. Curry? <laughs> this was actually the sixth movie with Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. Uh, Tim Burton actually said that he always goes with Johnny Depp when he feels like it's going to be a hard shoot, like Easy a hard to pitch. Work with. Why? Johnny Depp's his best friend, obviously, but yeah, he knows that if he's working with Johnny Depp, he can make gold out of whatever challenges come up. Uh, okay. So it's that thing of like, if I'm going to do this hard ass project with somebody, I may as well work with somebody that can help me out and make it easier. Right. That's why he always worked with Johnny Depp. Like it, it, he's his go-to guy when he has no idea what to do. And of course, Helena Barham Carter was his wife at the time. He's eight movies. They and he directed eight movies with Johnny Depp. In yeah, him. this was his sixth. Yeah, that's a lot of movies with Mister Depp. Yes, Mister Depp. It's weird that Mr. saying Mister Depp. Depp feels weird. I think one of the things that made Todd last for centuries is the fact that at the time he was one of the first like popular boogeymen in pop culture. Right. I mean, that's not necessarily a nice story to hear. Well, of course, you know what a boogeyman specifically is, right? No, explain. Kukui. Yeah, like like Kukui. Yes. The idea that rather than just say you shouldn't do that it's bad, but parents saying you shouldn't do this specifically because Sweeney Todd will come turn you into a pie. Oh, okay. So that's like pretty much definition of boogeyman. Like, don't yeah. do this or else you'll well, get a, punished. A, a boogeyman by definition is any manifestation or personification to scare kids into doing something. Oh. Rather than just say, oh, that's bad. Or, oh, you're going to go to hell if you do this thing that I told you not to. The idea of a boogeyman was to assign a specific character to dole out these punishments. Parenting, <laughs> I guess. That's how you parent. Yeah, like, for example, Santa Claus has pretty much replaced the boogeyman in modern society. Because now, if you want a kid to behave, you just be like, Santa won't bring you this present <laughs> if you don't behave. But at the time, the time period, Sweeney Todd was one of the first popular fictional boogeymen that parents could blame for the punishment and he's real really real he's kind of real yeah i mean the name sweeney todd obviously is a different name but the fact that he actually did this and then parents are like oh yeah somebody's gonna cook you up and eat you later on so be yum, good kind of yeah. dark <laughs> i mean that would scare the crap out of me i i guess that would work then as a little kid oh yeah mind you this is around the same time of the Hansel and Gretel and the Grim Fairy Tales. Those were right, children's those were, stories. Those were you know terrifying. What I mean? Dark children's <laughs> stories. Yeah. 
around the same time period though my, so my mom used to like try taking the books away and my grandpa's like no i'm gonna read you the real stories this is what they're actually are i'm like but cut the stomach out of little red riding hood to get her out you have to know this <laughs> or to get the grandma out I'm like oh gosh this isn't disney parenthood scared the shit out of them yeah you taught lessons through a fear of horrible violence mm-hmm. lessons through fear like any Spanish-speaking person who knows who La Llorona is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was mine. Uh, the, well, the Duende and the La Llorona were the ones that my parents used on me all the time. I, I guess Santa was for me because... Kukui yeah. was for me. No? Okay. What? What? <laughs> oh. What about for you, oh, Connie? No, Connie? I, um, I, I was taught many different story lessons. I don't recall any of, like, terrifying... Um. You didn't have a boogeyman that your parents would blame for, like, punishing you? Or, like, you gotta behave because if you don't, blah, blah, blah. No. My brothers did it to me once, but, I mean, that that was that was about it. Hmm. I usually tried to stay pretty pretty good. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't have, like, like I've been told stories, but it's more like they, uh, there's no, like, specific bad guy. Uh, so you got, did you get the Santa treatment? Yeah. I'd say Santa treatment, yeah. Yeah, you're just not going to be bribed this year if you're not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bribery. Bribery and fear. I think Santa Claus is the best boogeyman because it's positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. You yep. don't do this, you're not getting a toy. But I won't horribly Kill you. Murder, murder you. Murder you. Or like kidnap Make you like Krampus. Pies. Oh, yeah. There's Krampus. Is it weird that learning, like researching all of this and like looking up the story and then rewatching Sweeney Todd made me really, really, really want to meet yes. Pie. Yeah. A I, little. I want to meet Pie. I can't I say <laughs> not. <laughs> do, do you know what the meat pies actually look like? If you Google an image of like that traditional style, it does not look good. It at looks all. like spam shoved into toast. Those original French pâtés back then. It looks like cat food. Well, spam. It looks like spam. <laughs> Yeah. It, oh, you mean from the from the time period? From that time period. Yeah, it's just literally like a brick of chopped up meat. Victorian era meat pie. And it has a piece of like crust around it. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, it does look like cat food. The bread looks good though. Like the crust <laughs> looks really good. You're both looking at it now. Oh. Yeah, but the inside looks nasty. Well, it is French bread. It can make anything taste good. <laughs> Even that kind of pate. Well, apparently the pate was amazing. <laughs> uh, that's true. I mean, that's the famous part. And but there was a meat shortage, right? It makes me wonder if he had access to pork and beef, if it would taste even better or not as good. Like, was the people the secret ingredient? Or was Maybe. he just a good cook who happened to use people occasionally? I don't know. What if what if the animals were, like, dying or expensive to buy? He was incredibly successful. <laughs> he could have bought meat. At one point, yeah. He is a butcher, though. It was a butcher restaurant that sold pastries, and getting meat is his main business. Right. Well, I mean, if it's <laughs> illegal and everything, wouldn't you save a lot of money just by using the barber's meat? That's true. That's true. He wouldn't have to buy anything. So you're saving a trip, you're guaranteed fresh meat, and... For a low cost, most likely, because the he, the barber's still taking the coins from the body, so he's making money that way. Tax free. Yeah, that's true. So 
and they're selling delicious pie and oh. without yeah. the cost it's like of free meat with money attached to it. Sure, it's like a small cut. So you agree? Economically, <laughs> this was a great plan. Well, yeah, you said it <laughs> yes. was a time yeah. when they're yeah. poor, so poor. They're the most successful shop in town. And to be <laughs> successful, because yes, yeah, he's genius, money pinching it. Not saying that is a good thing that he did. No. But... <laughs> no. <laughs> You gotta cut corners. So, are we done with a true story? Or... Well, I just have a quick question. It's not Sweeney Todd, but um, the story story reminds me of the Count of Monte Cristo. Is any of those two related somehow? I don't think so, but at the same time, the Count of Monte Cristo is a classic. If one story influenced the other? Not exactly directly. Like, I wouldn't be able to say it was based on the Count of Monte Cristo, but Count of Monte Cristo is such a huge trope. Yeah, it's a, it's an iconic story. So, mind you, the idea of Benjamin Barker being sent to prison on a wrongful charge so that dude could bone his wife, that was all added way later in, like, the 70s when the play was rewritten. Okay, so right. maybe it did influence the um, Sweeney Todd story. The play. Because... What adding all that backstory about Barker did was it changed Todd from unsympathetic thief and murderer to a tragic hero. He he broke bad. Yeah, who breaks bad eventually. I'm guessing all three of you have seen this movie multiple times. This is my first time watching it. What? Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, yeah I never seen it. I saw the trailers and I was going to watch it, but I got sidetracked and never happened until now. Oh. And I, I love Johnny Depp. And I love on um, the other guy, the crazy guy, John, um, T- Tim Burton. And the cast oh, yeah. looked good, yeah. and it's a musical, and it looked dark and twisted. So it is right up my alley. But I never got around to watching it until now. Wow. Oh. Yeah, actually, I, I, I'd been a fan of this musical for a really long time. Of course, I'm a very weird person. Weird. So naturally, I was into like serial killers, scary stories, and all that jazz. But so, I, what, what are you saying about people who like this? They're weird. I'm weird. Well, I've studied. Cr- <laughs> well, I used to study true crime stuff before it was cool. Oh, before oh, it was I'm cool. Sorry. <laughs> but I was always aware of the play. I actually got a chance to see uh, a broadcast of the original cast recording. Cool. The original cast recording had Angela Lansbury playing Mrs. Lovett. Oh, that's cool. Angela Lansbury being uh, Mrs. Teapot. Mrs. Teapot from. Beauty and the Beast. Right. Yeah, actually, her that same recording I watched as a kid is on YouTube. I mean, they have a few songs missing, but it's pretty much the entire performance. Cool. I mean, I, I watched this movie, I think, like, for the first time, maybe about five or eight years ago. So I didn't watch it when it first came out because my parents were like, this is too bloody. You won't. Like it. This is not really that bloody. I insist you won't like this movie. Yeah, like it's too dark. It's too messed up. I wasn't really allowed to watch horror movies. Shame. For a while because I was kind of a scaredy cat too. So Now you're doing a horror podcast where you laugh at how they're not scary. Well, <laughs> when you get older, you realize that like it's kind of cool seeing effects of stuff. And I think that kind of helped me out, especially working on a set like myself and seeing how blood and hands and decapitation and all this other cool stuff plays out i'm like ah that's fine i look in it as a 
making of aspect and it makes me feel a lot better. It's mm. become more art for you. Yeah, mm. yeah. How about you, Connie? Huh? Why are you doing this voice? I said, how about you, Connie? Um, so as you as you guys know, I love Sweeney Todd, but uh I remember the first time I saw it in theaters. Um, and honestly, like it's pretty funny to me. Um, because I, I got a chance to choose which movie to go to because my dad and I go to the movies every Tuesday and have since I was like one. Um Cool. Yeah. And I got to choose the movie for my thirteenth birthday. And I had never Ooh. seen commercials for it. I had no idea what Sweeney Todd was. All I saw was Johnny Depp looking sexy as hell on a big poster. <laughs> and I was like, I wanna see that movie. And he had knives and there was <laughs> blood everywhere. I had no idea what was going on. So when I got in <laughs> into the movie theater and i sat down and there was blood starting to go as it was rolling into credits i was like oh no this is a scary movie and i closed my eyes i covered my (laughs) face and i was terrified until they started singing i had no idea it was a musical (laughs) yeah oh you're in a surprise yeah (laughs) i actually when the movie first first came out i remember being at the theaters with my friend and we got pulled aside to do one of those surveys that the that the studios do Mm -hmm. and basically we were shown a two movie trailers and we had to rate the movie trailer and one of them was sweeney todd and i remember i was totally blown away because i've i freaking loved sweeney todd i loved that story i read a string of pearls when i was like in middle school so i was totally like oh awesome they're doing sweeney todd and one of the questions on the questionnaire was can you tell that this film is a musical from the trailer? Really? I was like, oh, this movie's going to be based on the play, not the actual story. Like, I couldn't even tell that from the trailer that they showed us. Because oh, hmm. my friend who was with me said the same thing. When he watched the trailer, he had no idea it was a musical. It looked just like a gothic horror movie with Johnny Depp. That's what I thought it was when I saw all the trailers for it. The trailer actually cuts out anybody singing. It just sort of has the music. So they wanted it to be a surprise. Did they I, well, Did they think that people would not want to watch it because of the singing? I have no idea. I mean, Sweeney Todd is like a Tony Award winning musical. You'd assume that... There would be singing involved. Yeah, there. there's definitely a fan base for it. Yeah, right. but that's dedicated. But what about the general audience? Yeah, I think like the marketing department, of course, was like, let's just show Johnny Depp. Let's just show Play. Snape's name. Oh, uh, Alan Rickman. <laughs> Alan Rickman. Yeah. Come on. I always forget. I I just Snape is easy. I know. Shorthand for, for Alan Rickman. Mind, Snape. Fun fact: Alan Rickman is the only non-dark wizard in this movie. Um, wow. Johnny Depp. Oh yeah. Uh, so apart from the fact that. Most of the cast are from Her- the Harry Potter movies. Yeah. All of them are dark wizards. Johnny Depp played Grimwald. Yeah. Peter Pettigrew plays the Beatle in this movie. Oh, he's... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Alan Rickman is Snape. And, of course, Helen Bowen Carter, who is Bellatrix Lestrange. Right. Huh. huh. So the, the main cast are all dark wizards from Harry Potter besides... Snape, unless you count him as a dark wizard, because he... I guess some people would. Would you? Uh, uh, vigilant. I I don't know. 
Snape's always that character. I'm like, I don't know what he is. Just because he's a douche doesn't mean he's evil. <laughs> he's just curious is all. Curiously evil. There you go. Curiously evil. He's just an a-hole. <laughs> uh, he has some of the best lines in this movie, by the way. I mean, uh, he's such a hateable character, and oh. that goes to show he's a good actor. It would probably help if I did a breakdown of the plot for Sweeney Todd. Okay. Because this story is entirely different from the true story and a string of pearls that the story was adapted from. Of course, Sweeney Todd, the story of Benjamin Barker, he was a barber who basically got cuckoid. Can I say that? Yeah. Like he was Basically, he was a barber who got wrongfully imprisoned by a pervert judge just so he could rape his wife. He eventually escapes Australia, which is something they never mention in the movie that he was in Australia because Australia was a prison colony during the time period. Oh, they mentioned right. it. Oh, did they? Yeah. That he was in Australia? Yeah, they mentioned it. I don't remember <laughs> them specifically saying Australia. Yeah, was he, Anthony? He, he kind of mumbled it. Uh, he was just like, he said it, I think it was just like once, but no, he, he said it. I can't recall what scene. I will definitely watch the movie again just to... Just to clarify which scene. I, be <laughs> I, be I believe you. I believe you. The point is, that's why he had to be rescued via sailor on his way back to London. He very briefly mentions that he pulled him out of the water. But in the play version, they have a whole conversation about how he rescued him off of a life raft. He nursed him back to health. Like there was way more developed. Like that, for example, of explaining that Antony rescued him literally out of the water and had to like, nurse them back to health and that's how they became friends on the boat yeah i didn't know what was going on at that point I'm yeah like, why why is he there with that dude it just started abruptly yeah. they could have maybe mm -hmm. started in the beginning or showing a flashback or something well one of the things removed from the play which is actually what got the movie the most criticism at least from fans is the most popular song from the play is not in the movie the ballad of sweeney todd pretty much sums up who Benjamin Barker is, everything about the judge, his whole backstory that they kind of just reference in that scene uh -huh. is explained via the ghosts of Todd's victims. The way the play kind of starts is all of his victims are standing around talking about how evil Sweeney is and how he turned like cold and murderous and all the horrible things he did. But that song was cut from the movie and that arguably was the most popular song from that entire play that's the song playing over the credits where the awful cgi meat is being run oh gosh that cgi he, he's trying but uh it, w it wasn't at the point it's at now definitely the cgi meat being pumped out during the credits <laughs> yeah but so the song playing there is an instrumental version of the ballad of sweeney todd that sucks yeah actually the song was originally going to be sung by Christopher Lee and uh, Anthony Head. Do you know who Anthony Head is? No. Mm -mm. He was Giles on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Never watched Buffy. Really? Yeah. No one? I, I kind of watched long. Buffy. Yeah, it yeah. was a long time ago. Anyway, he has a cameo in the movie, but his scene was cut because, of course, his song was cut. Uh, he's the guy that asked Todd where his shop is for that, like, three seconds he's like do you have an establishment that was his only scene in the movie because his song got cut ah. oh okay but the film would have started with all of these ghosts introducing todd and 
In fact, the ghosts pop up throughout the play, like the chorus from Hercules or Little Shop of Horrors. You know, the background singers. Oh, the right. yeah, yeah. Uh, the, muse, the muses. Yeah. The idea of the Greek chorus is something that comes up in a lot of musicals. They're just there to give exposition so that the writing can be simpler. Oh, okay. Cool. The ghosts of Todd's victims were originally supposed to be popping up around the story to give these moments of, this is what he's thinking when he's brooding and being quiet. Oh, that would have been cool. That totally would have changed the whole thing. I thought they could have at least ended the movie with all of his victims singing the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. That, yeah, that would have been cool to see that. Like, all the dead bodies yeah. singing, I guess. Yeah, his Zombies. body count. Throats a cut, whole, yeah. <laughs> a whole musical. Well, uh, the reason why Tim Burton cut it was he wanted to make the film less theatrical, if that makes sense. It's a movie. Hollywood eyes it, right? Well, Hollywood eyes, sure, but he wanted it to be a movie musical, not a movie adaptation of a musical. The mm. composer Stephen Sodheim actually said, of all of the adaptations of his work, Sweeney Todd is his favorite because they didn't just try to film a stage play. They took the music and made a movie out of it. Right. Yeah, I could see that. Whereas traditionally, movie musicals or movies based on musicals, that could just be flat on stage and it wouldn't matter mm. whereas with sweeney todd he actually reworked scenes so that it would play well as a movie so getting rid of the chorus the greek chorus at the beginning was one of the first things he did oh okay still sad yeah. as far as sad goes i think it really changes the tone because the way johnny depp plays todd in the movie is very brooding and emo and Kind of like, mm -hmm. I'm Batman. I'm angry. He has like no soul in the movie. I think what they did was he has no real emotion besides rage. Right. Like that's the only thing you really, you don't see him being happy or sad or just, it's just anger. Mm -hmm. He's just blank until he's mad. Yeah. Brooding quiet. But the what, and that's contrast to how, Todd is usually portrayed in the play where he's kind of frantic and insane. Right. Another change that I made to the story, which I think changes the story entirely, is the story with Antony and Joanna. How so? Antony and Joanna in the play are older. Okay. So it makes sense for Antony to be a world-weary traveler and sailor. He's like late 20s. Right. He's pretty young. He's so young that I kind of... Of course, I've seen the play. When we first saw the movie, for a second, I didn't know who he was supposed to be. Yeah, he's like, like 16 or 17. Yeah, they actually say that he's been in prison for 15 years. That makes Joanna and Antony around 17, 16. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess he could have been selling when he was like 10 or younger. Well, it was the 1800s. I don't know when they would allow sailing boys. Was he a cabin boy? Like Cabin boy, I think. Another character that is noticeably different would be Judge Sharpin. He's a little bit more rapey than me. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's there's something a bit more sleazy about him. I mean, he's already a rapist character, but he's a bit more sleazy in the movie. And I, I think that's just because of the close-ups of him like going at, at people. Like that? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. <laughs> I'm breaking down each character. The other character that changed slightly from the play was Adolfo Pirelli. Because, of course, the cast 
Sasha Baron Cohen, who amazing singer mm-hmm. that no one really knew at the time. Mind you, this was right after Borat. So any non-fan of Sasha Baron Cohen would just assume that he didn't have any range. So him busting out as Adolfo Pirelli really threw it threw me off because I wasn't expecting him in the movie. Good actor. But in yeah, in the play, he's actually supposed to be kind of a fat guy. Hence her Mrs. Lovett's thing about he's got such a nice plump frame. It would be a waste to not use it. He looks average when she said that. Like, he looks kind of average. Yeah. But again, it's because they were casting based on his ability to sing and act versus if he looked right for the part, which I, it totally works. It's fine. Yeah. Right. Could have given him a fat suit or something. But the most notable difference in the entire movie, and I think it totally changes everything, is the fact that they made Toby a child. Instead of an adult. Oh, the... Uh, the assistant. He's an adult? Yeah. In the play, he's always portrayed as a grown man Disabled. that's mentally disabled. Oh. Kind of like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. He doesn't realize certain things. Mm. Yeah. So Mrs. Lovett feels that she could totally take advantage of him because... He doesn't question where Pirelli went. Like right. he sits there to wait for Pirelli to return, but then he never questions that he never came back. And part of that has to do with the fact that he's kind of a simple person, as they say mm-hmm. in the play. Mm-hmm. But also that's what makes his song to Mrs. Lovett so poignant in the play is the fact that he says, I may not be smart, but I'm not dumb. I know that there's something wrong here. Right. Because... Like, even he could tell, like, there's something not right with all these people disappearing. And he just knows that Todd is evil. Of course, he doesn't think Mrs. Lovett's in on it in any way. But by changing Toby into a child, it immediately made Mrs. Lovett more maternal Mm. than she is in the play. Yeah. And Helena Baum Carter's portrayal of Mrs. Lovett, I would say the biggest difference between how she usually is in the play is the fact that she is maternal. There's some sort of vulnerability to her that Mrs. Lovett normally never has. She wants a husband and a kid. Yeah. She wants a family. Family. Fun fact, Harley Quinn was based off of Mrs. Lovett. Really? Yes. Of course, her Brooklyn accent, everything about Harley Quinn, of course, was based off of Arlene Sorkin, the voice actress and friend of the creators. But her personality and pretty much everything else about her was inspired by Mrs. Lovett. I could see that. Her frantic and insane love of the Joker. So when he tells the Joker, oh shit. She's delusional. Yeah, and how delusional she is. Like She actually thinks that someday the Joker will settle down and marry her. Just like Todd. Wow. Okay. She's Mm. 100% willing to go along with the most horrific, horrible things that the Joker does. And she's just like, Yeah, of course, we'll be together. And he is literally ignoring her. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. Wow. Okay. Yeah, everything about her, as far as her personality, comes from Mrs. Lovett. And her ability to just be like, you know what? I would be a great wife because I'm willing to hide bodies for you. And and not even question it. I I guess, yeah. Yeah, Just like Carly. (laughs) There's only, and I think the most telling about the fact that she's like Harley Quinn is the fact that she only ever gets scared of Todd once in the movie. Yeah. He's straight up murdering people in front of her, and there's only one scene where she flinches. Right where he 
holds a knife up to her. Like the okay. the initial scene, he puts the knife to her throat is the only time she flinches, and then at the very end, right before he murders her, those those two scenes mm-hmm. actually. Well, she she kind of knew at that point. Though. I, I'm pretty sure she knew, but then she, she was willing to ignore it and be like, "No, he's dancing with me. This is fine. I got a man." Oh yeah, that's yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Like oh okay, he's into it, and then she just dances with him. Like okay, I won. On the along the lines of casting, uh, Helena Bonham Carter was actually Tim Burton's wife during the making of this. They were afraid that people would have thought nepotism, like why would he cast his wife? You know that kind of thing. But but didn't he work before together? They've worked together before, sure, yeah. But it was that thing of Mrs. Lovett is a really really popular character to play. Oh, I mean, Angela okay, Lansbury, top billing. top billing, Mrs. Lovett. Such an influential character. But Helen Bell McCarter actually said in an interview that she had been wanting to play Mrs. Lovett her entire life. That was one of the reasons she got into theater as a kid. She saw Sweeney Todd when she was a little girl. and She used to dress up as Mrs. Lovett at home. She felt really perfect for this role. She spent her whole life developing <laughs> how she would do it, too. Yeah. Wow. She was made for this. She she does it really well. I think she's the best Mrs. Lovett. And I love Angel- Angela Lansbury's Mrs. Lovett. But I think Helen Bowen Carter did better just because how she developed it. She just felt like the character. One of the things that she did to prove, like, I can do this. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm with the director. She sent Stephen Sodheim audition tapes. Stephen Sondheim being the original writer, creator of the play, just to be like, if I have your approval, then it's cool. Tim Burton actually gave him final say on every bit of casting in the movie. And when he saw her, her performance, he was like super impressed. Like, it feels like you've been doing this for a long time. Like, I wouldn't have guessed that you're auditioning. If she nailed like that opinion, of course she would seem perfect for the role of course steven sodheim actually said this is the best adaptation of his work he'd ever seen like it's his personal favorite of all the musicals based on his movies and this dude made west side story yeah wasn't mr lovitz like also pregnant throughout oh right the film? helena Bowen carter was pregnant with her second kid while making the movie she actually complained that her boobs get bigger if you pay attention <laughs> I didn't notice. Fun fact, in various scenes of the movie, her boobs change size. Yeah, like the beginning, they're kind of small. No, no, no. When they first introduce Mrs. Lovett, her boobs are kind of plump. And then the immediate scene after where they're talking about Todd's wife, her boobs are smaller. Because they didn't shoot in order. Oh, okay. Never Hmm. mind. But her boobs change size multiple times. And according to Helena Barham Carter, you could see it. In the trailer, that her boobs change size. I didn't notice. I, I don't think I most noticed people. That. I, yeah, I wouldn't have noticed if. I mean, kind of a little no. weird if you did. You're like, no, something's different. <laughs> her eyes up here. Her big, giant, caked eyes with weird <laughs> bags under them. <laughs> when it introduces Mrs. Lovett, really creepy scene. Yeah, the meat um, bakery. Yeah. All right. So he walks into the bakery, and then uh, she does the backstory of the wife being raped. Mm-hmm. Right. that was awful definitely a pretty terrible scene yeah uh, they just stood there and laughed laugh and giggle while she's yeah. being raped that was horrible i mean obviously from that scene you could tell that it doesn't matter if you're in the slums or if you're rich you're awful yeah so todd's attitude of everyone in england is awful 
kind of plays out in that scene of like, yes, even the rich elite are horrible people. No one in this story is a good person. No one's redeemable. Nope. Absolutely no one is redeemable. Everyone's an asshole. Yeah, it's a true tragedy in that point. Like, the more bad things happen, the more bad things are put into it. I think the, the only character in the story that has any redeemable qualities is named Anthony Hope, which I think is a, the, the name is sort of over the top. Yeah. <laughs> right after that is the scene where Anthony sees Joanna in the window. Yeah, that's so the scene with Anthony looking at Joanna and then she sings her Nightingale song. Again, there's no metaphors here. It's straight up. Look at this metaphor of a bird in a cage. That's just like me. There's bars in this window. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. But at that point, they introduce the old beggar woman who does her old alms thing. Of course, the alms woman turns out to be Todd's wife, which is a twist that if you've never seen the play, is brilliant. I I never seen the play, but when I saw the old, the old you know, quote unquote old woman, I nope, that's the wife. She's not dead. She's alive. I knew right away. I don't know. I was just thinking it was just a crazy hobo lady, and yeah. it didn't start occurring to me till later on in the movie as you saw more of her. I'm like, why does I keep showing her? You know what's interesting? Uh, again, I'm going to be referencing the play because when we did Jaws, I kept referencing the book, or Amityville, I kept referencing the book. I try not to do that. Whenever we do these things, obviously I've researched it, but a lot of times I just know about it because I've read the book, and I'm a huge nerd, and I know all this random crap, but I'm going to keep referencing the play for Sweeney Todd here. In the play, they actually introduce the almswoman first. Really? That makes much more sense. Yeah. During the London song in the opening of the play, after they step off the dock and he does his whole spiel about how awful London is, the almswoman runs up to Todd and says, hey, don't I know you, mister? And he's like, get out of here. And he chases her away. And then she runs to Anthony and does his, her whole mischief, give me alms thing. And Anthony gives her money and she runs off. They introduce her first. She's the first character other than Todd and Anthony that you see. So when they show the wife, I didn't connect that it was her because, first of all, costume change on a stage play is almost impossible. That takes skill. And second, since it is a play, you never really get a good look at his wife. Oh, because you're like far away watching it. The way they do it in the play, when... Mrs. Lovett is telling the backstory about how Judge Turpin like assaulted her. She's literally under a spotlight in the background of her, Mrs. Lovett telling the story. So you never really see the wife close up. You only ever see her as the almswoman. And I think one of the things that made the movie, as far as I could tell, kind of spoiled it for people, I'd say, is giving her a close up. Because once you see a good look at her face, you kind of go, hey... That's the wife. Yeah. 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 Kind of yeah. aha moment. No, she didn't really look Oh, She still looked really young. He's like, that's not Oh, That's the wife. I think that was another problem with the movie. I believe in the play, he's supposed to have been in prison for a really long time. Of course, Joanna is in her mid-20s in the play. So she'll be 35. Right. So I think they wanted the whole Romeo and Juliet star-crossed teenage lovers vibe for Anthony and uh, Joanna. Joanna. Right. Plus... You can't really make Johnny Depp look old. Like, they, <laughs> they put white hair on him, but he still looks like Johnny Depp. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, no matter what you do, he just looks like Johnny Depp. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I guess you put him in age makeup, but it's not... He's actually 
older making this movie than the guy who originally played Todd. But he doesn't look old. Like, you can't make right. Johnny Depp look old. He just doesn't. No. Vampire. He's a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I see it. Dark Shadows. Yeah, you're right. He did play a vampire in Dark Shadows. Yeah. Another Tim Burton movie. He's typecast. As a dull, white, very pale looking man. He is a very tall, white, dark looking man. I haven't pale... seen that movie yet. Dark Shadows? Yeah, Dark Shadows. The, the one with him in it. Yeah, no. It's pretty good. I really, really liked it pretty funny it was okay well i was a fan of the show the tv show ah the movie's a comedy right i mean it's not like an exceptional movie but it's entertaining i would definitely say it's not one of tim burton's top 10 but i really enjoyed it more so than a lot of other people's favorite tim burton movies if that's any indication it's very cheesy if if it's in my top 10 it's very cheesy and silly okay Okay, I'm interested. Anyway, after that, uh, there's, of course, the scene where Todd gets his razors and he sings his little, I guess, love song to his razors. Oh, right. mm-hmm. I like that. I like that line. We said, at last, my arm's complete. Yeah, and that kind of, that line kind of made me laugh. I thought that was cheesy. It was so cheesy. That, that like, is the most cheesy line in the movie. And it's funny because it works. Well, in the it's play. like a sword. In the movie, it feels kind of cheesy. It, it just feels forced, is all. When he's like, "How's it different to play?" Well, the play is cheesy, so him saying it doesn't sound out of place. Right? Oh, okay, but mm. the movie is kind of serious it for just, the most part. It was like silent, and then like they had a build up, and then he says, "At last, my arm is complete again." Yeah, I don't know. Mm. Maybe it was just it just felt cheesy. Either way. The fact that Edward Scissorhands feels complete after picking up a razor <laughs> really made me laugh. <laughs> That's actually one of my favorite scenes of the movie is him singing to his razors and Mrs. Lovett kind of like, I'm your friend too. He's like, nah. I always liked you. Like she's she's like trying to get all seductive on him. Sniffing and like his ear. Sniffing his ear. Notice me. <laughs> yeah, notice me. There's totally a notice me moment because he's so focused on his blades and she's like, you could live here again. Everything will be great. He's like, go away. I definitely see the Harley Quinn in her during that scene. Yeah, Sweeney Tong once gets Batman. That scene leads into Judge Turpin inviting Anthony into the room. And what has got to be one of the creepiest, most uncomfortable scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. Him saying, you gandered, is so funny to me. I just imagine him saying that to Harry Potter. Oh my god. You gandered, Mr. Potter. You gandered. Gandered on my trying wand. To, he's trying to do that weird pervert thing of like, I have pictures of concubines. Would you like to see them, boy? Like, ew, dude. He was trying to show him hentai. Yeah, exactly. Like, what is he... Where is he going with this? And Anthony's like, I think there's been a mistake. Stranger danger. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he's... Like, why would you even come in that house? Like, dude, you just had a lady warn you, and you're just gonna go in there? Like, what's wrong with you? No. Yeah, you're right. She was like trusting those days. Yeah, he could have just had the kid killed, and he's the judge. That's true. He should have just had him killed. Yeah, he totally could have. Yeah, this kid's chicken on my babe. I'm gonna kill him, and I'm the judge again. I find myself rooting for the bad guy again. <laughs> I can't help it. I, everyone in this movie is a bad guy. Yeah. No yeah. one's good. Well. What, 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 Wait, what about the kid? 
Yeah, that's what I was about to say. What about the kid? Tobias, he's good. He's just a kid. Wait, to- and 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 Toby? Tobias, the kid who slits Todd's throat? He saved him. He released him. He slit his throat. It, but but he killed a killer, which is fine. If a kid killed Hiller, that's fine. <laughs> Murder's still a sin. By the end of the movie, Toby has the bags under his eyes like Mrs. Lovett and Todd did. He didn't have them until after he snaps and decides to kill Todd. I'm thinking he's not done killing. Pretty much everyone has like blood under their own hands at one point. Mm. What about the two lovers, actually? In the play, when Anthony is breaking Joanna out of Fogg's asylum, she's the one who kills Mr. Fogg. Mm. But again, Tim Burton going, no, no, no. We, I want these two to be redeemable. Just had Anthony tell the prisoners, I leave you to your girls. And like the girls rush out and kill Mr. Fogg instead. Ah. He, he wanted, like you said, he wanted at least Joanna to not have blood on her hands either. Mm. Okay. Gotta have a good guy somewhere. There's gotta be someone here. Or something pure. <laughs> Anthony's my least favorite character. And first, he cock-blocked uh, Sweeney Todd. <laughs> Sweeney was really close, but he got cock-blocked. Like, you fucker, he always got him. He came here in the wrong time. Because he was being patient. Okay, second, him being madly in love with someone you never even talked to. That was really weird. Well, I think it works because he made them teenagers. Yeah, kind of mm, stupid. Yeah, maybe. If- it, again, it's that star-crossed lover Romeo and Juliet thing. I stare at you through a window, I love you. Maybe, but... In fact, that's like the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet. It's just kind of... Yeah. They're dumb teenagers in love in a musical. And you kind of just... Okay, I could buy that. You know what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. They don't know better, but... And the song, he... I'll steal you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that song. It's like, I'll steal you, Joanna. You know? When he sang that song, it reminded me so much of the the song by the police. Every breath you take... I'll be watching you. Yeah, I, I'm, you belong to I'm me. Like, what do you mean you're gonna steal? Like it sounds so romantic and everything, but no, it's stalkery. It's not stalkery if she's into him. <laughs> Dobbler Dahmer. Yeah. <laughs> you know that, right? The Dobbler Dahmer rule from How I Met Your Mother. No. It's. Oh, I never watched the show. It's only creepy if you're not into the dude. If you're into the guy and he does something creepy, he's romantic, like Dobbler from say anything holding the boom box over his head it's romantic because she's into him but if she's not he's creepy like jeffrey dahmer he's a, a weird stalker dobbler dahmer the only reason antony is not horrifying is because joanna is clearly interested from the get-go right okay hmm. i still don't like him he cock blocked him <laughs> i think that's the point though anthony represents the only morality in the movie and play of course he's gonna show up at the moment todd could have easily murdered somebody right yeah i was thinking this is too soon something's gonna happen his um assistant alan rickman's assistant was gonna come in or or say something somebody was gonna come save him and that's (laughs) you make a good point why would you just leave him alone in that alleyway he's the judge someone might fuck with him he's incredibly wealthy and you're in the middle of nowhere I think yeah, the beetle would bodyguard. Was- yeah, like a bodyguard. This is the scene where right after they do the whole pervert, look at my books, look at these pictures, and then he has Anthony beaten up. I feel like that gave him more resolve 
to rescue Joanna. Because he was just passing by and he saw a cute girl in the window. He was like, huh, that's nice. And Judge Turpin was like, come here, boy. And by the time he walks away, Anthony's like, no, she will be mine, damn it. You made me want her more. Just because you literally said you'd beat me to death if, if I tried to. You want something you can't have, I guess. Yeah, it, it's that I want it because I can't mm. have it thing. Because he was just sort of glancing. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he just... Yeah. He was just gandering, but he went from gandering to I will steal you from this prick who had me beaten up. So it was a challenge. But I feel like his resolve totally changes after that because he was just wandering. He was on his way to a specific location. And had they just given him directions, he would have just been on his way. But because Turpin picked a fight with him, he was like, oh, man, I'm coming back for that chick. She's mine. Yeah, you, you want it because you can't have it sort of thing. Yeah. So right after that, they do the scene introducing Toby and Senior Pirelli. The whole... Borat. Yes. The Pirelli's miracle elixir. This is piss. Piss with ink. I think that's my favorite line from the movie. Piss with like, ink? What is this? This is piss. It's piss with ink. You should, you should use that as a title. I think I might actually. <laughs> I have two title ideas for this because, as you know, I like to make the title a quote from the movie. Yeah. Right. I'm thinking either this is pissed with ink. Yeah. Or you gandered, sir. I like gandered because it's gross. I like the pissed one. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like the gandered. <laughs> yes, sir. You gandered. How dare you gander <laughs> this gander. podcast to yeah. bite you more into it. Now yeah. you have to click on it. And it's the the way he drags the G on Gander makes it really, really yucky. Gander. He's such a good actor at being yucky and feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. Yes, he's just very, like... Just by the way you're talking makes me crawl in my skin. Rapey. <laughs> All the performances mm-hmm. in this movie are amazing. But yeah. the way he, like, leaves his tongue out when he's like, eh, look... I have <laughs> I have pictures of these women. Right. It's like, ew, dude. Good yeah, facial yeah. expressions, or I guess bad. <laughs> What's interesting about how Alan Rickman plays him is he goes from very sinister and cruel to pervy to kind of pathetic and fun when he's talking about how, I don't know why she felt reluctant to accept my proposal. Like He yeah. does a very good job of making you care about the judge for that moment. Right, when you really shouldn't. You really shouldn't. Yeah. But I guess it's to show that he's a human, too, and he's, like, killing hella people. I like when he has the little boy executed. Oh, yeah. That's That's the second time you've been brought before my court. (laughs) (laughs) It definitely shows his character Mm -hmm. right then and there. I think that's one of the best introductions in the movie, is him sentencing a, a career criminal to death. And then it cuts to a little boy crying. Yeah. Just a little boy. The way they introduce Signor Pirelli as the barber of kings, the king of the babas. Sasha Baron Cohen actually studied with a real barber for several months to make sure he got how to handle a razor properly for that scene. I was wondering about that. Because a hmm. lot of people don't actually know how to shave with a straight razor, let, let alone shave someone else with a straight razor. It's a hard technique. Take skill. Yeah, he his handling of the razor is spot on because he took the time to train in razor handling. Mm, okay. Whereas Johnny Depp had trouble even handling the razors at all. He one of the coolest things about the movie as far as trivia is 
he had a switchblade razor made. It was mm. like a special one, right? Yeah, one of the prop department built him a switchblade razor, which was basically, it literally had the button. When you press it, the blade would flick open like a switchblade. They never like showed it in the movie because obviously that would be very odd to be in the movie. But Johnny Depp had to have that built for him because he couldn't actually handle the razors. The script called for him to swing it open and stop with it open. And after <laughs> struggling with it several times during rehearsal, he asked them if they could just make him a switchblade. Huh. It, it looks cool. It does. Yeah. But he kept it. I would have kept it. That's freaking cool. <laughs> anyway, the scene where Pirelli reveals that he knows him from the old days and Todd beats him to death with a tea kettle. Yeah, that was graphic. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, of course, he beat him to death. I, I liked that scene because in the play, he just kind of slashes him. He's Pirelli's the first victim of Sweeney Todd. But I like that scene because when Mrs. Lovett finds his body, she's initially freaked out. And she's like, oh, no, you killed somebody who did you no wrong. He tried to blackmail me. She's like, oh, all right, that's different. <laughs> Yeah, like and then she robs, reason. and then she robs the body. Like it wasn't okay to rob the body when he was a murder victim, but since he was trying to blackmail you, I'm just gonna take this. That's okay. Right. I didn't, I didn't really like that tea kettle scene. No, was it too graphic? No, Why? because he grabbed it with his bare hands. Oh, like it was oh. a hot iron tea kettle. And at first, I was like, okay, well, maybe it's just the way it was built. And then when Mrs. Lovett came in. He was sipping tea, and there was a pot holder. Clearly identifying that it's extremely hot. Well, I, I mm. thought the same thing. I thought the idea was that he's so emotional Mad. at that point. Yeah, that he's not even thinking. No. Yeah, but his hands would still show it. I think him bashing Pirelli with the tea kettle, it, it kind of leads to that emotional release aspect of Todd's character. Again, in the play, he was more over the top, way more silly. Depp's version of todd is really really subdued the fact that the blood is so geyser like kind of leads to that like every time somebody's cut it's like yeah right doesn't drip it gushes it kind of plays into the idea that he has no emotional moments he doesn't even get angry he just goes straight into rage yeah it's just one focus yeah, there's no build for him going like, oh, you're making me mad. You're trying to rip me off. Now I'm going to kill you. He just goes from staring blankly to bashing him with a tea kettle. About the priest scene, little priest, where they're talking about the flavors. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was, I loved that scene. The priest scene is, uh, yeah, the musical number of, of the priest and how, First of all, she develops the idea of making them into pie, but then them doing a little commentary on which would taste the best. There's yeah. so many puns. I think that's that's like the most punny musical number I've ever heard. Yeah, definitely lots of silly stuff, even though it's not really a silly thing. They're talking about something horrifying, but just because they're already crazy, you're just like, yeah, some shepherd's pie peppered with actual shepherd. Yeah. In that scene, Mrs. Lovett and Todd are dancing, and he grabs his razor, and she grabs the rolling pin. It The song ends when they hit that note. That's actually the original promotional poster for Sweeney Todd back when it was a musical. The original picture was of Mrs. Lovett and Todd holding their arms up with like a razor in one hand and a rolling pin in the other. They intentionally struck that 
poster pose at the end of the song. That's cool. Am I the only one that saw that scene and went, I think I would like to try that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you might be. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Lex. They're naming food flavors. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. After I first saw the movie, I went home and tried to make a meat pie. How was it? It's basically beef stew in a in a pie crust. Really? Yeah, it was delicious. Did it's it just, come out good? It's not worth it. You may as well just eat beef stew and then dip bread into it. Mm. And then, of course, you have the revitalized Mrs. Lovett's meat pie with the reprise of Toby's song. The Ladies and Gentlemen song. I think of all the musicals I have seen, Sweeney Todd uses the reprise the best. You know where they take a song from previously in the musical and sing it again with different lyrics to reflect the story. I love how they use the Pirelli song to introduce Mrs. Lovett's Meat Pies. And how it, again, there's that weird bird motif as it pans through the restaurant, like, just birds in cages and whatnot, like that they keep showing. Uh, they keep cutting to the old beggar woman, and knowing how the movie ends, Mrs. Lovett's aversion to the old beggar woman is really, really like unnerving. Because like she sees her and freaks out, like get her out of here, because she doesn't want Todd to see her. Mm, right. Watching it for the first time, you'd think, oh, it's because she's a crazy woman that everyone knows. But then watch it again. No, she's recognizing her. Get her out of here. Like, she doesn't want Todd to see her anyway because she knows what will happen. It, right. To like, me, it, she knows what's going on. To me, it totally changes the meaning of that scene because she freaks out. Like, get the old woman out. And you can see it on her face again. The acting in this movie. Just perfect for that role. Yeah, true. They have the great ability to emote while singing in this movie, which I don't really see much in musicals but you definitely see it on her face that look of panic get the old woman out of here yeah definitely mm-hmm. like this is will be the end of me i like how toby flicks at her with the wash rag too like <laughs> yeah yeah shoo, get out shoo <laughs> the, the beggar woman just looks confused like a cat like uh, uh. man <laughs> So she was crazy after she tried poisoning herself, right? Yeah, she says that in the song. Uh, left her weak in the head, but didn't kill her. And mm. she ended up at the same asylum that Joanna ends up at the end of the story. Uh. I think the Joanna montage of Todd singing about Joanna. And yeah, the scene where it's basically a duet with Anthony and Todd singing about Joanna to a montage of Todd killing people. That seems really interesting to me because, or not interesting, that seems really funny to me because you're supposed to be paying attention to Todd murdering these people while Anthony is scouring the city trying to find Joanna. But if you look at where he's looking, he's walking through like a butcher shop. He's looking in a cemetery. Like, where is he walking to try to find her? Like, where did he think Turpin sent her? Uh, I don't know. He very luckily happens to the window of an asylum. Like, what if she wasn't at the window at that point? That's what I was wondering. Like, how do you know? Yeah. Yeah. You got lucky. (laughs) That montage, by the way, of him slashing the dude's throats right after making his fancy chair. Yeah. Again, just very subtle because it's like a blink and you miss it kind of thing. I like that they show him shaving somebody just fine. 
when the guy's family is there. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's his sad moment in the song where he's talking about how he'll never get to spend time with her as like her father. And then it shows a father and family in the room and how they could have been family. Mm-hmm. And he looks sad for that split mm-hmm. second before cutting away to him murdering someone else. It kind of gave him more of a human point of view for that dude. For like a split second, he shows a- another emotion. Envious. Right. Compassion. Yeah, he has compassion for a split second. Right. What was her name? Uh, okay, um, Lovitz? Yes, love it. Neville, okay, by love the it. way. She- fun fact, her name is Neville Lovett, which never comes up, but fun fact. Is, oh, is that okay. in the play? Yeah. Well, they don't say her name in the play either. They say Mrs. Oh. Lovett, but it's listed as Neville Lovett. Oh. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. And I feel like she's the most evil of the characters because of the fact that it was her idea to force people to be cannibals, but also she knew she lived. That's the most effed up part. Like I didn't, I didn't say she died. I said she drank poison. Very manipulative. Yeah. In a way, she kind of convinced him to kill more people. Yeah. He kills Pirelli out of self defense because dude was blackmailing him. Makes sense. Of course, he's gonna kill Judge Turpin and the Beetle because they were the ones that directly wronged him. Obviously, it wasn't until mm-hmm. she was like, he did wanted to kill the kid, and Lovett basically just stopped him from doing it. I mean, they had a chance for a redemption. Like, all of them had a chance to pretty much get better themselves, but... Like, take they, a step back. Yeah. What are we doing here? Like, if yeah. you just keep putting bad stuff into something bad, of course only bad's going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's just the whole show. This is a whole movie. It's just more bad things turning into something terrible. I think that's the whole, well, message of the end when... The beggar woman comes up and she's like, don't I know you? He's so focused that he doesn't even recognize his wife. Right. He's like, but the judge is coming. Crap. Cuts her throat. Dude, pay attention. That's your freaking wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's your whole motive right in front of you. And he's already gone at that point. He's killed so many people that it's just another thing in his way. Mm -hmm. At that point, he's already a monster. Right. Yeah. And that's... Another interesting thing in the way the movie portrays Todd and Lovett, in the beginning, they're the underdogs. So even though they're murdering people, you kind of root for them because what's justice when the law is even worse than they are as far as morals? Right. But then they somehow twist it to where they're more evil than what happened to them. Halfway through the movie, the ends no longer justify the means. They are now Mm. horrible monsters, worse than the... The thing that made them want vengeance in the first place. I think the biggest turning point of the movie is the scene where Toby sings to Mrs. Lovett and he's telling her Todd is evil. Something's wrong here. And there's that moment where Mrs. Lovett sings the same song to Toby like nothing's going to harm you. And she's crying because she realizes, crap, I'm going to have to kill him. Mm -hmm. And by the end Mm -hmm. of the song, she's like, you know what? You should work in the, in the ovens. You've always wanted to come check out the bakehouse. Why don't we go down there now? And it's that sad thing of you could see on her face that, yeah, th- this is it. That's This is the end of the boy. I didn't want to, but this is the end of the boy. And that scene from then on, Todd and Mrs. Lovett are evil. Yeah. Like they're they're str- like chasing after this kid. I'm like, what are they doing? To me, uh, okay, uh, usually we talk about the scariest moments in the movie we're reviewing, but yeah, to me, that is the only scary scene of the movie. 
is the scene where they go into the cellar to look for Toby and she's trying to lure him out by singing the very lullaby that he sang to her. She's like, nothing's going to harm you. And that's such an effed up twist on the fact that he was doing it to declare his love for her as like a maternal figure. And she's like, come on, why don't you come out? And it's fucking echoey and creepy. And they're trying to do it so that they can murder him. The pretty woman song in the movie is also a great scene. Disturbing, again. Mm -hmm. Well, it's disturbing because it's a a pervert singing about loving women. Mm -hmm. But I've seen the play, I've watched the movie, but no matter how many times I see it, I'm always taken in by how suspenseful it is every time he puts the razor close to Turpin's neck. Uh, So close. Yeah. It's such a... uh, it's such a suspenseful scene you just I don't know like you're expecting oh this is it oh it's not it oh this is it it's not it like you're just waiting for that moment like it's excellently tense for that second where he's like and I'm actually shaving him you know, <laughs> you know what I mean yeah yeah why did he wait he would just you know as soon as he sat down and had the blade right through his throat boom done I think it was like more of a enjoying like how like you're in enjoying the kill oh playing waste food so, like you're just warming yourself Savor up for the, the moment. right moment yeah like yeah. you don't i mean as soon as you plate your food you don't eat it right away you get sit down light a couple candles get the mood right and then you take a bite of the food or the pie or yeah the pie. he, he should have <laughs> just he should have just done the deed yeah he should have that's why at the end of the movie he's immediately like i'm benjamin barker poke <laughs> <laughs> yeah stab 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 I feel like that scene, it's intentionally unsatisfying when he finally gets bar- uh, the judge. Yeah, because he's already yeah. killed so many people at that point. It's like, where have you become to get to where you're at now? I think it helps build up the, the crazy moment. Like, he's he's totally just in rage. So it's just more of a focus on how much rage he's at. Instead of us enjoying his revenge. I feel like he's dead inside. Yeah, you felt bad for the guy in the beginning, and he had a chance, but after killing so many people, when he finally does kill the guy, he's like, so, you kill so many people, just to kill one person. He's killed so many people that he's gone mentally, like he's gone. Like, he... Yeah, you're right. He sang, He does that song again of him singing to his razors when he tells them to rest, like, you're done, rest. Because he has nowhere to go after that. Like, where do you go after that? You've completed your revenge. What do you do now? You're just a monster. You're just as bad, if not worse, than the monster you slayed. Right. Probably worse. Mm-hmm. You created your own monster. Well, I mean, the judges also, because, I mean, sure, Benjamin Barker kills a lot of people, but so is the judge. I mean, that, that boy in the beginning. I mean, he yeah. probably only stole, like, a piece of bread or something. So how many lives has he sent to execution? Right, but it's not like he put him in a pie. He's just as bad as the judge, no different. I think he's worse by the end. Yeah, I actually do think he is worse by then because he personally attacked people and then also cannibalism on top of that. True. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's so blinded by by vengeance that he kind of lost track of what he was doing in the first place. That scene where he finds Joanna in the bu- in the box, that's another really great suspense moment of this movie. I expect mm. it like yes, kill the daughter. 
By the way, can I just mention about the, them being dropped and how violent that looked and how like pretty realistic. Like I, I don't know, I love the physics of that body just hitting the ground and the impact on a head. Like ow, I and you know when you well, I guess nobody should really know this, but when you slit a person's throat, you don't die <laughs> right away. You choke. You yeah. pretty much you drown in mm -hmm. your own blood. And you gurgle. So all those people yeah. are technically still alive until they hit that floor and that massive impact. I think that's it kind of plays into the end of the movie. The reason why the judge was alive enough to grab Mrs. Lovett, there's already two bodies down there. Normally they're dropping land on their head and they're oh, yeah. they're done. But when he lands, he lands mm -hmm. on a pile of other bodies and he has enough energy oh. to grab Lovett. He was he, cushioned. Yeah, he was cushioned. If he didn't have enough energy to grab Lovett in that scene, Todd probably would have killed Joanna. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And Lovett would have been able to spot the beggar woman earlier and toss her into the oven before Todd got down there. Right. So he would have just, like, killed everything that... The reason why he's there, pretty much. She, he would have he killed Joanna. Killed his whole family. He would have killed his wife, his whole family. And she could have gotten her happy ending. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess everybody got mm. what they deserved in the end, for the most part. It well, all worked out for them. All the except for the poor lady, the wife. Everything didn't work out for the wife. Yeah, she's on drugs. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> it didn't occur to me until I recently. The reason why she goes into Todd's shop was she saw the beetle go up there, and she was trying to report Mrs. Lovett. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, she kept calling her a witch. Cause mm. yeah, she knew that Mrs. Lovett was up to something, and she saw the beetle go into the barber shop, and she goes, "Where is he?" And she thought he was hiding because she couldn't find him, but she knows he went in but didn't come out. Right. Before Todd discovers her, I always, I guess, I never really paid attention to why she was in the shop at that moment. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I, and when you look back on it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, hmm. cause she because immediately when she sees Todd, she tries to warn Todd about Mrs. Lovett, not knowing that he's also a killer. Te yeah. Technically, yeah. he is the only killer. Whatever. <laughs> Everyone helped kill pretty much in that movie, one way or another, except for the two kids hey, that were he, in love. He left the guy to be murdered by the uh, inmates. My single favorite shot of the whole movie is... When Todd sees the body, recognizes his wife, and he's like, you lied to me. She goes, no, I didn't lie. I said she drank the poison. Never said she died. I did it for you. And he looks up at the camera. It's the funniest shot of the whole movie to me. You Because know the look happen. on his face. Yeah, the, the, just the look on his face of, really? Really? He's like, ah, oh, you're dead. Dead meat. Yeah, he gets up and he does, oh, wow, he's very practical, like. <laughs> tricks her into like relaxing so he could get close enough to murder her too. He didn't mm -hmm. even need to though. He could have just gone up and got her. Sliced her. Mm -hmm. I think she was expecting him to rush her with the razor so when he puts his arms out like come here my love. Come here. Come She's here like, puppet. Ah, I, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm dumb. The reason he lets Joanna go is this weird moment of like, why didn't he kill Joanna? By then he's done. He tells his br his blades to rest. He's not going to kill anyone else. That's also why he doesn't kill Mrs. Lovett with the razor either. 
So oh. gets her. He kills her. Okay. But he's done with his blades. He's like rest. You've you served your purpose. When he sees her, he kind of like hesitates, like, mm. and then he hears Mrs. Lovett screaming, and he just tells her, "Forget my face." With the family, it was more out of a longing and a sadness. With this, he's just, nope, I'm done. Stranger. I'm not using my razors. Yeah. He had all the reason to kill Joanna in that scene. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. I wanted to happen, but... Eh. <laughs> I like how you watched this movie and you felt, you know, this needs to be more effed up. Yes, I wanted that. Like, the with the ending, how it ended, they could have fucked this up more. More, more sad, more dark. I liked it for the most part. I thought it was a suiting ending, but yeah, I guess more bloodshed is fun. I think it was a great somber, quiet ending of the music playing and him bleeding out. That whole buildup, the whole movie has a tension to it, and it's all released in the scene where Todd's throat gets slashed, and it's just pouring on her, and it kind of fades out and just shows him in the darkness bleeding out. It's a great way to end the way they did this story. I mean, I would love to have seen the Ballad of Sweeney Todd with all of the victims coming out as ghosts and telling the story about how he was a good man. He needed vengeance because he was right. He was wronged. He rightfully deserved vengeance, but it got away from him. And now his legacy is he is a monster worse than the thing that he sought to slay. I thought it was a good ending. Yeah, I, I liked the ending. It was very, um, to me, it seemed very poetic. Yeah. It, it does feel poetic. From the beginning, you knew this wasn't going to end well. No. Mm-hmm. It, it just couldn't have. Whenever there's vengeance, normally it's just not a happy story. The scene of Todd dying while holding his wife is more satisfying than him stabbing Turpin with a razor blade. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely got yeah. more satisfied with that for some reason. I think we should wrap it up. Like, talk about... Anything wrong with this movie? Anything that bothered you guys? Or yes, Anthony bothered me. Enjoyed watching it. <laughs> Any issues with this that you could think of? Things you didn't like other than Anthony's entire character? Um, yeah. Um, Toby near the end when he says that, what was he saying? Like, I'm not smart, but I'm not dumb. Then he's that alludes that he kind of knows what's happening. He knows that Todd is up to something. Yeah, but then he goes out of down the basement and he sees a um a a um, rib cage right there and then he sees the grinder but then Lovitz tells Toby that oh this is how you grind he's grinding the meat and he's not really surprised yet until he starts eating one of the pies and when he gets the toe I assumed he thought it was a rack of ribs like from a cow yeah he He didn't get a good look at it until he bit the toe yeah it was Mm -hmm. more like a slow realization Mm -hmm. that this is human not animal especially since like the innocence of a boy like kids they they don't see the evil until it's really pointed out a toe in your mouth he's with his he's with his mom type figure like she is his mom in that scene like yeah he treats her as a mother figure he was an orphan in the workhouse mm-hmm. yeah so he doesn't really feel any danger from her yeah exactly yeah that makes that scene way more sad because she's like teary-eyed as she leads him into the basement I'm like oh you're going to come down here for now on. And she's like crying and he doesn't notice. Yeah, like you're dead, boy. Uh, what, what they what would they have done if he was totally like, okay, do I cut off their fingers or what? Like what if he was into it? It would have changed everything for them. Yeah, but mm-hmm. 
she knew he wasn't into it because he was saying that he's a monster. Face your yeah. demons. Yeah. I think that's when she realized that she can't get away with keeping Toby because in her little fantasy, they all move by the sea together as a family unit. But in that moment of him describing how evil Todd is and how if she has Pirelli's purse, that means that Todd did something. I think that's when she realizes that he's too good for them. Yeah. He's yeah. going to narc on them eventually. Yeah. He's too much of a good kid for both of them, and she's going to have to kill him off. Hmm. I don't know. I think the only thing for me that I didn't like a part of the movie is just silly things like how come they didn't explain better in the beginning? Like, just subtle things that would have set up the story better. Like, I would have liked to known why did he feel in debt to this random kid who helped him? How did he escape? Like, his journey to get to where he is at now. Because uh, he worked so hard to try killing these people. I, I, I don't know. Just a little thing like that. And also, the effects of the beginning of this movie that uh me in the very beginning <laughs> looks so silly oh the cgi you're right i think that's the only thing i don't like about this movie is how bad the cgi meat is in the title sequence 2007 yeah, it's very cheesy <laughs> 2007 yeah there's a lot of great movies that came out in 2007 transformers yeah. with the budget for transformers in fact later in the movie they show an actual meat grinder they could have just Got a close-up to that and use that in the credits. Yeah, hmm. that looked more realistic. I mean, I just made the lighting and stuff on it looked really weird. It looked like a Play-Doh, like, pasta roller. I mean, they're trying to set the tone for the overall movie. And by the way, the music in this movie is really awesome, too, of how the scores kind of work for throughout the entire movie, how you have... Everybody has their own score that plays throughout the movie, and it's just a really subtle way to show, oh, look, this is uh, like how they're feeling in this moment. Like they're, they all have their own theme. Yeah. 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 When Steve, Steven Sodheim was trying to create this play, he decided he wanted it to be more cinematic, so he studied the works of Bernard Herrmann, who famously did all the Hitchcock themes, like hmm. Psycho, The Birds, things like that. And it really plays out in how suspenseful certain moments of the scenes get. Do you guys have any more nitpicks? I don't want nitpicks to be a thing. No, no, I just like, mean, I don't want like, to call them that. But what... just, just things that you notice. <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, character when he switches accents. Borelli. Yeah, Borelli. When he switches accents, was that still him talking? Of course, that... yeah. Sasha Baron Cohen is British. I know, but it's just I only yeah. see him like in his comedy stuff, so you don't know his actual voice. Come to think of it, I don't know what he actually sounds like either. Yeah, so it's like when he switched voices, is I was thinking, is that still his voice, or they just got some other guy who sounds really deep and stuff? Well, no, I I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen is famous for Borat, Bruno, Ali G, uh, like Ali G, and all of them have totally distinct accents. Yeah, I don't actually know what. Sasha Baron Cohen's real voice sounds like. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like, is that his actual voice or the switch voices? Like, it sounded so different. He's famous for doing voices, so much so I don't know what his real voice is. Oh, he's also King Julian from Madagascar. Oh. Move it, move it. Anything else for you, Connie? Uh, no, not for a nitpicking, no. 
There's nothing in the movie you didn't like? Um, I really like that movie. So. <laughs> so. That's fine. No, I have, like, comments that I'm, like, but I couldn't say, like, that was the hardest part for me is I couldn't find, like, a, I guess the only thing I could find that I didn't like was that tea kettle scene. Because it was just so much. Like, oh, how he grabbed it. Yeah, that's the only thing I'm, like, really oh, yeah. bugged about. But everything else, like, there's, like, you can think it through and you're, like, logic it out. And you're, like, okay, I can see why they did that. But the tea kettle, the tea kettle, I don't get. <laughs> he was mad. Well. Yeah, he was mad. He does wear gloves but... throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah. What, are you saying he got burned? Probably. And he just covered <laughs> it up? Worked through the pain. <laughs> Would he be? Would you be? Would he be happy if throughout the whole movie his his hands like burn and red, like left? Yeah, the mark? I would be. I would be so happy if if he was just going like afterwards <laughs> and bandage him up and just the searing skin. That would be yeah. cool. like there. Yeah, that would be cool. Have bandaged hands throughout the whole movie, or he or he grabbed a pot holder before bludgeoning him to death. Yeah, or he was already pouring tea. Or he could just slice them with his blades. <laughs> well, I, I liked the use of the tea kettle. I mean, that did bug me too, but I did enjoy the use of the tea kettle because they use the whistle as yes. a way to build up tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and when it finally thinking. screams, he grabs it and then beats him with it. Yeah, it yeah. just yeah. release that. I, I like but that. That's totally fine. Just the hands. <laughs> that style tea kettle, he definitely would have burned himself. Yeah, like yeah, bad. Totally. We gotta talk about that bizarre by the sea scene i like that one i loved that scene (laughs) yeah that's my favorite scene that felt like the most tim burton moment of this entire movie yeah i love tim burton so it fits it totally did yeah it it did portrayed really well yeah just the whole the whole change of color how the england was all dull and everything and when she's daydreaming it's all bright and colorful and everything and she's picturing the perfect marriage and life and everything so while Deb's right there still like oh looking mad and dreary and stuff and at the wedding inside. yeah yeah and at the wedding when the priest is asking um love it do you uh, do you take this man as your husband and she said i do and he mumbled and then he asks down todd do you take this white woman as your wife she, and, she and he just mumbles like yeah like yeah yeah, yeah. But he has the same expression throughout that whole scene. Well, I love it. It's like, oh, right. like Giggly's she, a schoolgirl. I think it goes to show that <laughs> she is like, she is in her state of mind where she knows he's not okay, but she's fine with it. She'll make everything perfect. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, again, it's that Harley Quinn vibe. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like, why. We, that's why I like it. Yeah. yeah. Um, that scene, I. I, have you ever seen the Little Shop of Horrors? I seen the yeah. uh, remake. Yeah, to me, that's the somewhere that's green scene. Oh. What do you mean by that? I mean that it kind of halts the plot. It doesn't really add anything to the story, but it's just so silly and like a weird fantasy sequence about how happy they could be if they weren't stuck uh. in such an awful place. Yeah. But it's a somewhere that's green done by Tim Burton. Like you still okay. have the fantasy aspect of hosting a party with all these beautiful, happy people, but then you have the Tim Burton character in the middle who's just sort of blank 
and out of place. It, yeah. It felt like a Charles Adams comic or like an Adams family moment. Yeah, like totally goth. It's goth, but like shoved in like a what's that called? A juxtaposition of happiness and then a Tim Burton character in the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just forced into the scene. Yeah. yeah. That's what Dark I kind of liked about that scene was just like she's all happy and uppity up and then he's still spacing out and all murderous like I like the transition too at the end of that scene. We didn't really talk much about the filmmaking aspect, but the transition from by the sea, it's it goes from them on the beach and the camera pans around and they're sitting at the tree and the sand turns into grass as the camera pans over them. Yeah. Cool transitions. Yeah. yeah. Like kind of cool. cool music video. Well, the whole movie is, pra- mm-hmm. is practically a music yeah. video. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> there is like, one thing that I would change because it kind of bugs me <laughs> is I would at least have the Ballad of Sweeney Todd as the end credits. Oh, that would yeah, be cool. Yeah. That, that upset a lot of people. That is the most famous song from this play is the Ballad of Sweeney Todd. And granted, you can't use the, the Greek chorus throughout the movie, but at least during the end credits, one of the things I read was they did record it. Imagine they could have had a song with Anthony Head and Christopher Lee leading a chorus of men talking about being murdered by Sweeney Todd. That would have been cool. They did yeah. record it, so they could have used it in the credits, and it would have been that would have been satisfying to me. At least I'd have that movie version of the song. Right. Is there a deleted scene of it? No, they never used it. Oh, sad. That's the other thing. They deleted Christopher Lee's scene of him getting his throat slashed. Oh, he's in this oh, movie? Yeah. Oh, was in this movie? Yes, he was supposed to be. The reason why they got rid of it was he's Christopher Lee. He's way too recognizable mm. an actor to have as a random dude who gets his throat cut. It would have been unsatisfying to have him in that scene if he didn't come back for the Ballad of Sweeney Todd song. Makes but they, why they have it. They did keep the Anthony Head scene. He's the one that asked him where his shop is after the Pirelli scene. But other than that, I... That that's the only thing that bugs me about the movie is the fact that they play the Ballad of Sweeney Todd as an instrumental throughout the movie. It's technically in the movie, but it's not. No lyrics, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah. So, uh, are we good to rate the movie? Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're. I think we're good to rate this movie. So, uh, rate or rate? Do you want to rate? Not Judge Turpin. I didn't gander this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would you rate this movie, Lex? I'd definitely give this movie a... Are we going five? Five. Uh, yeah, out of five stars. Five pies. Oh, I'd give this movie five pies. <laughs> five pies? Pie. Uh. It's sharp. And it goes down easy. I don't have any more puns. Uh, uh, no. Thank goodness. I would give this movie five stars. The performances add to the music. And using that classical... Stephen Sondheim style of conversational songs. Everything explodes out of the emotion and every action comes out of the acting. So rather than just stop, pause, sing like they do in a lot of other musicals, every time they burst into song, it's led to it as an emotional build and then a song comes out. So I wouldn't say it's the best musical it's definitely one of my favorites. I would seriously rate this movie a five. 
obviously, again, I don't know if this would be an issue. This is supposed to be a horror podcast. This is definitely not a horror movie. I don't know. Does the uh, blood and suspense, like, it feels like it should be a horror movie in a way. Well, I think what makes this movie earn its horror movie status, again... It's like a slasher movie to me. It is a slasher movie. It's yeah. pretty much a slasher movie. Yeah. yeah. To me, what makes it a good movie is how you're left feeling by the end of the credits. That's such an amazing moment of him just bleeding out and it fading to darkness. That's my favorite scene of the movie because it sticks with you. The staying power of that scene is just tragedy. The tragic nature of that scene. So yeah, I give this film a five. Definitely a five. There wasn't enough problems with it for me to actually complain. Again, I don't know why I need to point that out. Maybe because <laughs> of how much we hated on the first movie we did. But <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah. Would you like to rate next, Connie? Sure. Definitely uh, five pies. Definitely five pies of a movie. Love it. <laughs> Are we using five pies? I'd love to use five pies for this. Yes, I don't five actually, pies. I like five pies. I don't actually care for the five star rating system, but yes, five pies. Continue. Okay. okay. We can gander for the pies. <laughs> okay. Gander. Don't like that word. Gondar. Anyway, continue, Connie. What were you saying? Oh, I'm just saying um, five five pies. Uh, really good movie. Um, definitely some things that would be fixed. Like the CGI is just a little wonky. But I mean, like the acting, the, the musical of it. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of it. So kind of have to push my five pies for it. What makes you a huge fan of it? Um, The... The style of it, I love how it's like a historical reenactment-like thing, but also give them like a newspaper feel. So I just love that, that f like the look it gives off. Oh, yeah. It totally has a special look to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that, like, it's, it's unlike any other musical I've really seen. Like, a lot of musicals that I watch, it's like all of a sudden break out into dance form and start singing. Or... Yeah. Right. Really, really dramatic. Whereas this is like, I mean, Mrs. Lovett, when she's saying, have a little bit of a priest. <laughs> like, I don't really get that in yeah. other musicals. It has that conversational music. It just, it naturally flowed into a song to the point where kind of forgot that they were singing. Yeah. Yeah. It just mm -hmm. flows good. Uh, what about for you, Antonio? I would give this movie four pies out of five. I like the Ooh, characters. Four. I like the story. The singing was great. And it's one of the newer Tim Burton movies I've seen that I actually did like. Most of his newer ones, I'm not a big fan. They're not that good. But this one was really good. Um, I would give it a five if the ending was more darker. That's about it. But I really okay. enjoyed this movie. Fun fact. Several of the actors went on to play vampires in other movies. <laughs> and they're dark wizards. <laughs> anyway. Dark vampires. So, sorry. <laughs> I just read that and I was like, oh. Wizard vampires. Say that as a, yeah. Um, okay. I guess I would have to rate it uh, 4.5 pies out of 5. Uh, my reasoning would be there's just stuff like some CGI things and I would really like if they had that ending song with all the victims kind of just 
doing the song of Sweetie Todd. The ballad. Yeah, the ballad. I just think that would have been a really good oomph to it. And um, yeah, overall, I think it's a good movie. It's very poetic in how it, it was a tragedy. It does definitely feel like a Greek tragedy in that way of kind of no, like Greek Oedipus. Tragedy. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of Oedipus of how you're not going to get that satisfying ending. And any way you look at it, the more you feel hatred with hatred, it's going to end in bad. And and until that is finally over, you don't get that release of, I guess, death by just everything stopping. It, it's a good movie, just some CGI stuff that I would want to fix up in that ballad song. Mm. I think that another thing we didn't really talk about and most people don't really mention when talking about Sweeney Todd is overall it is a revenge story it is truly a story of vengeance yeah and almost every major story of vengeance ends with them losing themselves to vengeance they pretty much lose all the humanity they had in pursuit of vengeance they become monsters and that really, really plays out in Sweeney Todd. He's just, by the end, he's Sweeney Todd. There's nothing left of Benjamin Barker. He earns the name the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Okay, before we go, favorite song? Oh, um, the one with fantasizing with the future husband and kid. By the Sea? Oh, that- By the Sea. By the Sea, that's my favorite one. What about you, Connie? Uh, Have a Little Priest. Ah, the little priest. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, what about you, Lex? The epiphany where he, like, comes to the conclusion that we all deserve to die. And he's monologuing, and then he goes into that fantasy sequence of him oh, yeah. pointing his razor at random people on the streets. Oh. That's my favorite one. Oh, that was a great scene. Vicious. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I want to say pretty woman, because it just keeps looping in my head. <laughs> it Like, it's pretty disturbing. Woman. But it's really catchy. Ron Ron song. I know. I just just like this song. (laughs) The really, really suspenseful scene. (laughs) Yeah, it just... I don't know. I really like that song. Because it's gross. It is very gross. It's kind of... Ew, you guys are yucky. It's a very pervy duet. Maybe take a shower. Dirty man. Yeah. Yeah, dirty men while being cleaned. I like how dirty he was and his... His gross but suave beetles just like maybe get a shave or a clean oh. shirt, you know? Like oh. he has to get tips from a really gross dude oh, to um, be less gross. Okay, um they he kills Beetle, yeah. his assistant, but they don't kill him on screen, only when his body's already going down to shoot. Yeah, it, the death of the beetles revealed to scare Toby. Yeah, I, I was, you know, hoping to you know see his death. I didn't like him. Oh, so you wanted him to die? Yes, uh, like yeah. when when I saw him in Harry Potter, when he's uh, his um Ron's rat and he he transforms back into the rat and runs away. He's all oh, you little fucker. I hope you die. And then when I saw him in this movie, Pettigrew. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I saw him in this movie, hey, it's the rat guy. I hope you die. And he his, does die, but his, I don't see the death. I'm not satisfied. His head explodes next to Toby and it traumatizes him and he goes crazy. I still wanted to see this uh, next slashing. I wanted to see that. See, I I had a different viewpoint on him. Um, because he works for the judge, right? Yeah, he's the beetle. The beetle was the only form of police back in the day. The story takes place before the 
formation of the police department. When I was watching it, and I was kind of watching the Beatle from a different viewpoint, because when you're on, like, on duty, you're you're doing everything they command, like, no question about it. But when you're off duty, you can go home to love your family and everything. So the few times we've seen him off duty, like, not really off duty, off duty, but by himself away from the judge, he, he's, like, a nice guy. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, so what if he's just a generally nice guy? He even said it once in the movie. He's like, I like to do good by my neighbors. So when the judge is telling him to like go do stuff, he doesn't question it because the judge is good. And even when the boy was sentenced to death and the judge was like, well, everybody deserves it at one point. Even the beetle goes, he questions it. And then he was like, what? And the judge is like, never mind. And he's like, okay. Yeah. He has that moment where even he looks at him like, seriously? You're going to execute him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. That's a good hmm. point. Yeah, so if you watch it, because like, I watched the, the whole movie from the viewpoint of him being actually just some some bystander. I was um, just following orders. Good guy. Yeah, exactly, yeah. following orders. And especially back then, like, it's not like you can find out from the next police department that that was a bad thing. Like, That's the true, judge, yeah. the judge is... Like, that's a word, word of God. Like, you follow it. Yeah, that's law. Yeah. Yeah, and so when a boy ganders at his ward, like, he sees him protecting his ward and sees it as no other way. Yeah, and he doesn't kill him. He just beats him up. Yeah. Gives him a, yeah, a warning. Even when the judge is like, oh, well, I'm going to marry my ward because that's the only way I can protect her. The judge is being all pervy, but the Beatles like, oh, that's, I guess that's a good idea. That's kind of weird, but that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- that makes sense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, huh. I don't know, I was kind of sad to see him die. <laughs> I want to see him die on screen. I think for his, for his part in his wife's rape, you kind of want him to die, but you're right, he is just following orders, and he does do well by his friends and neighbors. He is a, a well-liked character to everyone but the main characters. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. the bystanding of the rape was kind of like evil, very evil. Yeah, that Everyone was in yeah. that but part. Ev- all the rich people yeah. were like yeah. that. Deserve to die. And if that's something like all the rich people were like, oh, well, this is a normal thing. Like if the Beatles used to seeing that, then he probably doesn't see it. He's just like, I guess this is just part of one of the bad things. Right, yeah. I think it, it also plays into that actor that actor is typecast as the sniveling rat literally in harry potter (laughs) yeah without really saying much you get a sense that he's a scumbag Mm -hmm. but i think if they did cast anyone else as the beetle he wouldn't give off that vibe you're right he probably would feel more sympathetic Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. that guy's very good at being gross by not doing anything yeah just the looks he gives in certain scenes make you go uh so you have to like take a moment and just kind of like step back from it and just like pay attention to what he's actually doing and and like listening to and all that stuff. But like, cause yeah, if you just if you just look at his face expressions, because I always thought the same thing, like, oh, he's a bad guy. But like, yeah, this one time, right? Um, cause it was my first time ever really um relaxing, relaxing to watch the movie, and uh, like that that came up, and I was like, oh well, he just said be good to neighbors, so started like taking well, a moment duty. Back. it's part of his job right yeah mm-hmm. no yeah i totally agree with that yeah uh, again a lot of the subtle acting in this movie is to me what makes it a five 
stars or five pies out of five, the very subtleties you don't normally see in a musical, you can see it on their faces when their emotions change. Like the scene where the judge is being pervy and then he switches to angry and like eat like sinister all within a couple seconds on camera. He's kind of toying with Anthony. Look at this dirty pictures. He has a pervy vibe to wrathful, angry. You were checking out my ward and it all just flips on his face all within that scene. Mm-hmm. Right. The subtle acting mm. is what I enjoyed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Final kill count, 12. 12? 12. Overall? Felt like more. Yes, overall. I think I should do that for now on in the podcast. Kill count? Say how many people died. Yeah, kill count. 12 in total, right? 12, 12 in total. Okay. Shown in the movie. I'm sure there were more because she had hundreds of pies. <laughs> yeah, she had a solid business going. Well, there was a lot of customers in that one scene. Uh, I wonder how many pies one person could make. Yeah, I'm disappointed we didn't make a, a meat pie this time when we were watching it. I really wanted one. Yeah. So that was Sweeney Todd. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Or if you haven't seen it, you shouldn't have been listening because we kind of spoiled everything. Um, we're we're going <laughs> to be doing that a lot, spoiling movies. If you have any comments, suggestions, greatly appreciated. Email us at kindatruepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to our special guest, Connie, joining us for movie night. Say hello, Connie. Hello. Or goodbye. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Goodbye. goodbye. (laughs) Good night. What the heck? Goodbye. Do you have anything to plug, like your YouTube channel, anything like that? Uh, if you check out, if you anybody's interested in watching birds or learning about birds, check out Curious Cocktails on YouTube. Yeah, that's my channel. I see some two cocktails and then learn how to care and just some cute chirps if you want. Kind of sounds like a fancy drink. Thanks for listening. This has been Lex. Amber. Antonio. And our special guest, Connie. And this has been... What happened was true. Curious cocktail. <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I was but... thinking more like a bartender, hey. but okay. Would you like a curious cocktail? <laughs> That's not where my mind Cockatoo. went. Cockatoo. If you were to say farewell, it would be my curious cockatoo. Oh my gosh. I'll cut that. I'll cut that. <laughs> <laughs>